Hola, hola Charlito. Charlito. Hola Charlie. Which one is that one? This is La, La Roma de Cuba. La Roma de Cuba. Yo. Interesting. This is, this is one of the first ones I used to smoke in, um, in, in Harlem. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one is uh, this is uh, the patron. Are you smoking too? I, I couldn't even tell. Yeah, man, this is the 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 patron, the um, the patron, patron. Okay, that shit sound like it's Dominican. I think it is, man. Missy made in. Okay, it's not telling me. You know what? And for the cigar aficionados out there, I'm sure they know. They're like, come yeah. on, man, patron, Dominican Republic, bro. You didn't know that? You know what? I remember now. I remember my first telling you. I saw you at the Harlem cigar shop. Hmm. With, with Roberto, yeah. And this is when I was trying to get on the game. I felt like I felt like one of those mixtape rappers mm. trying to talk to Roberto. Like, put me on, bro. Put me on. <laughs> put you on to what? To the city hall. Oh, to city hall. Yeah. To city hall. Yeah, man. He was uh, bro. That everything that came out of his mouth was uh, city hall politics. It was hard for you to talk to him about yeah. anything else other than politics, man. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing about politics that I tell people all the time. Like, people think that politicians are supposed to be one way. Mm. You represent people, but those politicians don't act like the people. You get what I'm saying, bro? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, if if I'm put on, you gonna see me in some nitro spots hanging out with the people, right? And the, the, we're not gonna call them bad dudes because that's somebody's son in the neighborhood, right? You already inspiring them. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't know. Yeah, man. You know, and that's the problem. And that's the, you know, but the thing is also, um, or I wanted to leave Harlem. It was because I would run into, like, clients of mine outside in the streets. Mm. And it was like, they would always ask me about their case, and I would tell them. And and I'm like, okay, like, this is fine, but we should do this in my office, not in the neighborhood. Not on my way to do dry cleaners, you know? So. That is annoying. Trust me, I have I live probably one of the few professors I live in the communities, mm. and they asking me, "Do we have?" It's, that just drives me crazy. I'm like, we spoke about this in class. Yeah, yeah. Look at the syllabus. Don't ask me and like. I'm oh, just, they'll they'll see you at a restaurant. Yeah. And be like, oh, hey, oh, yeah. Remy. So, so do your students call you Remy or Remy Sin? No, they call me Remy. Everybody calls me Remy. Yeah, today I was like, when you call me Remy Sin, I was like, oh. That's like my mom. That's your name. I'm saying it like I saw it. I'm like, yo. <laughs> but yo, bro, let's let's start this right here, man. Uh-huh. The good brother. What's going on, man? Remy. Yes. But really, Remy said, but we're not going to go too Dominican today, right? Nah, nah, I don't mind that. Nah. <laughs> it just gives me vibes of my mother calling okay. me when she wants yeah. the mom tax right. or I'm in trouble. Interesting. But I love my name. is unique. Have you ever met another Remy said? No, but there's this is one guy, Caucasian guy from from Pennsylvania. He's he's some great lacrosse star. Mm. His name is Remy and last name Sell. Oh, that's not fair, man. That's so not the same thing. That's not the same thing. No, but not the first name. Okay, but, okay, okay. How you doing, champ? Man, I'm good. Yeah. Relaxed. 
Very relaxed. Happy to see you. you okay. Know, it's been, it's been yeah, a minute. it's been a minute, man. Last time we were uh, enjoying a cigar. Yep. I think it was in Papa Juan Cigar Room in the Bronx. Yep. Shout out to Papa Juan Cigar. Yep. And that was like a, what, like about a year ago, two years ago? I think I was still living in Brooklyn at the time. Yeah, it's like two years ago because I was living in Harlem. Mm. Mm. And um, always, always good vibes. Yeah, man. And, always and, and, a lot to talk about. Yes. You know, because we're, you know, it seems like whenever we, we sit down, we realize that we're we're both dealing with a lot, you know, whether it's career, uh, certain things, uh, you know, that are happening personally, you know, our ambitions, what we're learning. Absolutely. Always a good time, man. Always a good time. I see that you have the fresh cut. I had to. Man. Nice. I, you know, you so fancy. I just ah. thought that uh, you was going to have a bunch of cameras. Mm. You know, I was like. You know, so that's interesting. I've been talking about that. So I'm going to get cameras here. I'm actually in the process of hiring an assistant. Mm. To, to set up every show and also so that uh, just to hold us accountable or hold me and other guests accountable um, whenever we say stuff, you know, kind of like a fact checker. Okay. So he's going to be like, look, you were full of shit when you said this. That's not the right. Oh, so I came in a good time. <laughs> you came in a good time. You came in a great time, man. Oh, but, man. Um, but yeah, man, I'm looking forward to developing this. You know, I've been having a good time inviting, you know, interesting folks like yourself to the show building catching up yeah man this yeah. is great i mean i'm just honored that you think i'm interesting i just feel uh, like i'm just a regular guy from the neighborhood you're not just a regular guy man we're gonna and we're gonna <laughs> show that you're just not a regular guy man but that's what's up yeah i need to get a haircut myself and i haven't been to my barber in like three weeks but he's a he's the type of dude that if, if i don't go for three weeks it's like yo you seen guy. somebody else like what's going you on know what, you know what's funny <laughs> moving from harlem and I'm moving, and I moved back to the Bronx. I'm cheating right now, mm. and um, I got to really? pretend like I mean, COVID is definitely helping me out because I got two barbers. They be oh, looking at me. They be giving you me that, that kind of dude. No, I, I was never that type of dude. But <laughs> it's kind of hard to leave your old thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, you, yeah. you know, the new, you know, the new barber. You know, I have a lot of faith in him. You know, he's just fresh off the boat. From okay, the okay. You're trying to help him out. Trying to help him out. He's down the. He's literally down the block. Mm, okay, convenience you know, for you. Very convenient. Convenience over loyalty, huh? <sighs> this guy's me. But I think I think about my old barber every day, especially today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been going to mine for over thirty years, bro. Mm. Uh, which is a constant reminder to me that I don't have commitment issues, and you wow. know, and obviously I'm in a. Flourishing relationship now, but before I would always ask myself, like, hmm, do I have commitment issues? No, I've been going to the same barber for thirty years. Shots um, fired. I guess I. <laughs> I'm not saying about me. I'm not saying anything <laughs> about you, brother. Um, yeah, man. The first dude that I used to go to, uh, the first barber, was an older Dominican dude, and um, he was he was good. He just couldn't quite bless me with the fade. You know, I, you know, as I got into my teenage years. Uh, you know, yeah. I wanted that 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 fade with the, with the with the with the curls, you know, and he wasn't able to hook that up. Um, so in retrospect, I remembered he used to have a photo on the mirror of Trujillo. Oh man! Yeah, wearing this like this sash, looking like he if yeah. he just won a beauty pageant, you know. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's Trujillo, and I was like, but at home they don't like Trujillo. Why does this old Older gentlemen have them in the mirror just staring at me while I'm getting a cut. So that was interesting. You know, but you got to understand what Trujillo... <clears throat> Trujillo meant to the Dominican Republic is... He's a bad dude. Mm. Right? He's, but the thing is, 
prior to that, not prior to him getting elected in 1931, yeah, Dominicans were getting picked on by every different nation. You got the, you know, you got the U.S. occupation, the first one right. that happened in the early century. But right. before that, you got Spanish, you got the French, even the, the U.K. were coming, you know, coming at the DR. Mm. Trujillo came in. He's like, we're running this. No, yeah, yeah, we're stopping this you right know, now. He's, he put a lot of nationalistic... He, nationalism was his thing. Right. I mean, he was a dictator in the time of dictatorships. Right. And he was going to other people's... He shot another dictator. Mm. The Venezuelan dictator. Really? He He's the only one that came at Castro. Looking like, what you want to do? Mm. Well, meanwhile, everybody's scared of... You know, so it's... um, You know, Trujillo... He has he did a you know I'm I I got Haitian descent in me I I understand that he's terrible a terrible human being and the thing is, is that Trujillo's probably the biggest influence in the Dominican Republic like the older generation right I mean Trujillo definitely had we have stories in my family he tried to kill somebody mm. in my family actually actually I I had a family member that was you know he was an activist a great grandfather of mine um, mm. who was actually Cuban. Uh, that migrated to the Dominican Republic. And a lot of people don't know that. I have that. Really? You have a Cubans yeah. in your family? So, so, Interesting. So my town, Salas, it's a, it's like a, I'm doing more research on it. Mm. Like, I'm, you know, sitting as a kid, I'm thinking about, like, everybody there is Haitian. Right now, Haitian, Dominican, like, we're all multicultural there, and um, we have our own town. It's like a big plantation. I'm sitting down with um, <clears throat> my grandfather's older cousin, and he's sitting down like, yeah, you know, there was a time where a lot of Cubans left Cuba and and put in, put in, invested money in sugar mills. Mm -hmm. And that's where they went to, you know, part of Monte Plata. Mm -hmm. Parts of, if you think about San Pedro de Macorís, yeah. it's a very West Indian town. Right. So you have a lot of Dominicans with the last name, like Johnson. I have an uncle named Thomas Tucker. Right. You know, and he's... He has roots from like Jamaica. It's like DR is so multicultural, right. and, and there was a time that DR was really, really the the place where you want to put sugar plantations, and, right? And people just came, but Cubans came in there with wealth, mm. and um, you'd be surprised. All the political parties, just all the political parties, the PLD and PRD, if you look it up, they all started from a Dominican. A Dominican in Cuba. It all started in Cuba. Right. Who was that? Who was that? Um, Maximo. I Maximo think Maximo Gomez. Yeah. Maximo Gomez went to Cuba, right? Mm -hmm. He was one of the. Founders. I remember they had a statue of of him in, in, in Havana. In Havana. Yeah. yeah, I remember when. So I went. he helped out the machete machete war against the Spanish. Mm. I mean, ironically, you know, Dominicans with this machete thing, it goes deep. But he 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 fought in the Cuban War, but that relationship between two both countries. Right. It's people don't know how how deeply how deeply it is. Yeah, right? it's rooted. You know, it, like I, I would only imagine, right? And maybe you have more information, but especially when when Fidel went socialist, um, when when communist, um, DR in wanting to preserve their relationship with the superpowers such as yep. the U.S., they distance themselves from places like Cuba. You know, yeah, um, be smart. I mean, I think, you know, that's logic 101, I, I guess, right? <laughs> no, but and, and vice versa. A lot of Dominicans, when they saw Trujillo come in power, they went. So you think about Juan Bosch. Mm. When he came back in the 60s, he tried, you know, people thought it was going to be the second coming of Cuba because that was... He was very socialist. Very socialist. This yeah. is why the, in this is why there's so many Dominicans in Washington Heights because they had to flee in the 60s and come to New York. 
Right, because, because I felt that, that Bert, you know, it was like our equivalent of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. But in DR. Literally, literally. Um, we could talk about his progressive views that people were like, like Not all the young so. people, all the young people wanted him. Mm. And there was a, there was a war between the young and the old, old regime and right. the new regime. It's like, it's like history repeats itself. That's what people need to understand, history. Right. And, and the, and the old regime ended up electing, um, Balaguer. Balaguer, but it's all America. Balaguer is like, oh yeah, through, through America. America, America did not want, they didn't want Juan Bosch. So when the people elected Juan Bosch, you know, you got you got external influences. Mm. So, you know, we gotta it's it's important to know, you know, that dictatorship in the from the thirties to the sixties and all those revolutions happening in the sixties. Right. In the DR is interesting enough with Cuba, it's you know, it's uh, it's a, it's an ongoing story. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And you taught through uh, the city of New York. You're a professor, right? Yes, sir. How's that going now with, with COVID? I feel like I'm not a... I'm an untraditional educator. It's tough. I, I love being young and being a professor. I love being in the class. Right. And vibing. Right. You know, one of my mentors, that's how I met him, um, J.C. Polanco. Shout out to J.C. Polanco. He's going to be on the show... Um, very soon, I think. I think uh, sometime next month. But uh, such a good dude, okay. such a good dude. He's a, such a good resource as well. That's my OG. Um, he, basically, we. He, I like to vibe with the students. Right. You know, sometimes I feel I see myself in them, especially the one in the back that might not be interested, um, in school because he doesn't know he's good at it. Right. You know, so that kind of interaction with the students, and you know, I come in. You know, I'm I'm always my sense of humor. I'm always clowning with them. Um, it takes that away. We're in a you know Zoom, right? And you can't observe. And I think you know can't. usually in Zoom, well, depending, but like the person that speaks come on, comes on the screen. I'm sure there's many different settings that you can apply to see the whole class, but it's not the same. And it's true. Like, you know, whenever I think about mentorship or teaching, I always want to focus on the student at risk or the student that's like. Yep. That you that all you need to do is just push them, right? And and because that's that's where the reward is for the teacher. Man, I just it, you know this. I just came in here today. This you know when I came into the studio, I got a a call from one of my old students. Mm. She didn't know her capabilities. Now she's got one of the biggest fellowships in the, in nationally. You know, and and I'm like you know I was telling her, yo, you can write. Right. You're good at this. Just gotta keep, keep doing it. But she never knew that, mm-hmm. you know, young girl from Dykeman doing her thing. And I bet you in four or five years, you might hear from her. But she's, you know, I love to see those kids because I was one of those. And that's the reason why I mentioned JC, because, you know, when he met me, he looked at me like, you think you're the next Felipe Lopez? And I'm like 5'1". Ah, uh, you was playing basketball? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, what what position? Well, I wanted to always play... Center? That, nah. No, you can't play. Shooting guard, small forward. Okay, okay. So I always played big, but I'm 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 a smaller dude, so yeah. I played point guard. I ended up playing in college, mm. and that's when I realized ball was in life, and I needed to pick up a right. book and start reading. Where, where was that? Where was that? I, so I got a scholarship, and I went to the university, Allen University in South Carolina. Okay. And um, great folks at the HBCU. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, Many of them, I was the first first time they ever seen a, a black man speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So they, they they were like, you're a black Mexican. But That's it hilarious. was an experience. It was, um, I loved it. But um, 
you know, every day you just understand the differences. Like the South, it mm-hmm. really reminds you of if you go to the Geechee part or Louisiana, it gives you that vibe of the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. you know, like parts of the art. So I, I love the experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I liked... I liked basketball a lot too growing up. I think basketball was was what kept me sane yeah. uh, during my high school years. Um, and, you know, we used to play block versus block. Now, I didn't play for my high school. My high school was a Division One school. So, you know, dudes that yeah. were excelling there were, were going to yeah. D1 schools, um, you know, and I went to an all-boys school. Yeah. Uh, so most of the, you know, so many hoopers went to Hayes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, you know, I loved playing basketball. When I got to college, I realized that basketball wasn't life either. <laughs> you know, uh, I think my boy, he made the team out there in Buffalo, uh, you know, my fraternity brother, um, Anthony Batista. And, okay. uh, you know, just seeing him wake up at five in the morning and you're in college, man. Yeah. You know, at this point, you're like, I don't want to be waking up at no five but, in the morning in college, you know. But and it's not like, you know, nine times out of ten. I talk, I speak to my You're not coaches. going to that beer. <laughs> no, and that's and that's a, that's that's the hard facts. That's but, the hard fact. Right? But I can tell you one thing: it gives you um, dedication. Yeah, for sure. Look, I learned from a young age playing in different AAU teams in New York City, and and I, I apply that to my career. When you're when you're sleeping, somebody's working in their game. Yeah, I'm that I'm that competitive in terms. I'm in politics, and and as a professor and a writer, I'm like somebody's. I'm snoozing. Somebody's working, mm-hmm. or. There's always ways to get better. The competition is there. So I, you know, I think playing basketball, having that dedication to wake up and like really perfect your game. Right. You put that in your career. It yeah. Far. It so transcends. It, tra- it transcends the basketball court. That's why yeah. I always encourage my friends that, that have children to put their, their kids in sports. You know, they show interest because just like teamwork, but, but really going after what you really want, I think starts really, really young. And you're able to compare yourself against people in your class. And that's the best way to have a child be able to speak more. When a child sees another child speaking, you know, that, that child gets encouraged. Now, obviously, I'm not in the mind of that child, yeah. right? But uh, some of my friends who have had children go to school, yeah. they come back saying, oh, the, these kids are now talking all the time now. But we talked to him all the time. He wasn't talking back to us. Yeah. But now he's seeing his little friends talk. And he's trying to emulate them, and now it's you know whether it's competition, whether whether it's just like emulating behavior. At the end of the day, um, it's a good environment to be in. Um, Absolutely. And, and one thing I could also say is that I remember playing basketball, starting to play basketball because I had an identity issue. Mm. You know, I grew up in a part of the Bronx where at one time I felt like I was the only Dominican there, so I was a Spanish boy. You know, and um, did you have an accent? All right, so you know yeah. what? So let me ask you this. You're Dominican, yeah. right? Yeah. You were born in New York. I was born in Harlem, yeah. Okay, you were born in Harlem. Did you go back and forth to DR growing up? Yes. Yeah, so I have an interesting story where I will go back to DR, go to Norway. My mm. family also lives in Norway. Wow, there's Dominicans in Norway. Shout out to that. Yeah, man. So I went there a lot. My mom is very Dominican. My family is very, when you say orgulloso, yeah, like proud. Very proud Dominican, yeah. great Dominican family where the women in my family are always the strongest ones. Mm-hmm. So in the area of like Allenton, right, North Bronx, all those here, so my, my, my aunt, she was the first one to put a salon there in a neighborhood that you didn't have too many Dominicans in the 80s, early mm-hmm. 80s. And then my mom ended up having her own business. She never worked for nobody. Her daughter did the same thing. So corner by corner, 
Pelham Parkway Islands, like we're all related. Mm. And we all have this common bond. And it's all women, can single mothers mm. getting it. Coming from that, and I see how strong my Dominican mothers and sisters are. Um, I just have a great appreciation for our yeah, culture. For sure. Man. You know, for sure. um, watching the roots of my family, you know, with the Alou brothers, mm-hmm. um, it just makes you proud. So, so the Alou brothers, what, what are they doing? So, Felipe Alou, Mateo Alou, Jesus Alou were like one of the first baseball players. The first baseball player drafted from the DR was Felipe. Okay. But, you know, how Dominicans are, we put everybody on. Right. Well, you want to sign me, you're going to put my brother on. And that's where the, the whole Dominican dynasty started. And he became coach. His son became a player. What what team was this? He, two of them played for the Yankees. Really? Yeah, so Wait, I, what year was this? This was like in the 70s, in 80s? A, in, in 1956, he played, Good for the, Lord. he played for the Polo Grounds, but then they got he got traded. And they both got traded, and then other people came in. Matewalu was like... Man, I tell his daughter all the time, like, we have the same birthday where the short ones are like 5'8". And, um, like, he is my, um, I don't know, like, spiritual, like, I just feel connected to him. Interesting. Um, and, mm. I mean, I never really got to meet him because he died. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. I see his jersey. He used to wear number two, like Jeter, mm. in the 70s. Wow. So every time I see a Jeter jersey, I was like, oh, you think of him? I'm like, that's unk. That's what's yeah. up, man. So, so you come from a, a family of uh, you know professional baseball players. Professional baseball, but he was it was more than that. He started the whole a bill of rights for baseball when the DR was in war with America. Like he said, I'm not gonna play. How are y'all going against us? A stand up man. Like when you think about Felipe, you think about a man of value. Plus, you know, at that time... When you say when you say when DR was at war with America, you're talking about when the U.S. occupied DR? Yes. Okay, all right. And they, they were just going back and forth, and he said, how can I play at this time for the Yankees? When you represent an interest that's contrary to the also, interest of my country. Also, being a Dominican man, black Dominican, right. Afro-Dominican, yeah. one of them, Mateo, was um, roommates with um, Roberto Clemente for a long mm. time. They will talk about that battle where you're black and you don't speak the language. Mm. You know, like, did Roberto Clemente speak Spanish? He, no, he spoke Spanish. Yeah. Okay, okay, he spoke Spanish. They couldn't speak English. I'm sorry. And people would look at you like you're black, but you don't speak. What are you doing? Like you know, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of hard years. Like a lot of papers, they still have it out there. Very bad language, but have that in like the bloodline. Yeah, you just felt like we can overcome any system or any situation that we're in, whether it's in DR or in the U.S. Let's go out and get this American dream, also, which is the dream of many immigrants. And that's the example. Like my mother came here. She was the first one to come here from her family. So she came here not only as a representative of her family, and she also came here with the understanding that they were back there, that she needed to do everything in her power to allow them to be able to have the option to yeah. come to the U.S., so she petitioned for her mother, and then she petitioned for her siblings, and next thing you know, she brought the whole family. Those people are gold. I mean, for in terms of Felipe, I think that at one time he was like the first Dominican you see on TV. But at that time, the Dominican identity at that time, yeah. in the 60s, you're coming into like, many came to New York, and New York was bankrupt. So they always felt like, I can't misbehave, because I want other people from my country to come here. Mm. And be able to be a good representative. So, you know, I know identity of the Dominican people has changed a lot since the 60s and 70s. But also black people and Dominicans and Puerto Rican, Afro-Latinos, we were all one. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, like, salsa music, um, they always talk about black liberation and 
unity. I mean, the Fania. They will they will make a right. um, they will make concerts in Ghana. They made a concert in Africa. So they're always talking about this one one one. But and the government. But but the, but do you think the government, the Jamaican Republic government, <laughs> uh, carried that same energy? Historically, I don't think we have, nah, right? Nah. How do you see, you know, and I know you teach Dominican uh, Republican history to your students on the university level. How do you see the role of the Dominican Republic right now as it relates to immigration? It's, it's tough. So Dominican politics, if you look at it in terms of left and right, right wing or left wing, they're very conservative compared to... Both. Compared to Compared left to and right us. wing here, right? Yeah, so they're very more they're more right, right? Back home. overall, overall, in, their default the, setting is right. Not, I'm not. Or the, the default in, setting is more moderate to right. Yeah, compared to us. Yeah, and, you compared, know, and, and that and that makes sense because that country never experienced the civil rights movement the way that we have in this country. But no, they they tried the with Juan Bosch. Or, Juan Bosch, they tried. Yeah. So they, they was Right now, you're getting your Peña Gomez on because he, st- he had a radio station where he would talk to people of the movement. And he was one of Juan Bosch people. You know, mm-hmm. so you have those people. When people think about DR, they only think one. Like people from Santiago are a lot different from the capital. People right. from the, the West are very different. From, so it's a, it's a country where you have this multiculturalism, but you also have... It's, it's kind of like, like this country. Exactly. Where, you know, if you're from Florida, you know, your political... Affiliation or, or your political rhetoric is a lot different than someone from New York, unless you're Donald Trump. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, politics over there is York, different. Politics, yeah, it is. So it's like if you look at a Dominican from New York, we're very left. We're more in the left. We know we can get deported. Yeah, I, I, so I mean, they're the immigrant, and we're the immigrants here. So right. you know, I'm just saying that not everyone's like that because I know where I'm from in the South. We're very pro-black. I'm from. I'm from the capital of the east side, but my town is called Mandinga. Mm. Just think about you you walking into the capital. And Mandinga you sounds black, bro. Yeah, very black. <laughs> like, we're, like, we have a sense of, we just know. Right. Like, you look at the word Los Mina. Los Mina is, like, where a lot of these rappers are coming from. But people don't know that's a, a village they took from Guinea-Bissau and in Africa. Mm. And it took that same name, those people, and put it in the Dominican Republic. So the Dominican Republic was the first place you have, you know, black people that were from Africa, like from the New World. This is where they, where they put the plantation system first. You know, this is this is like the, the pilot program mm. with timing and different things are happening and colonizers being changed all the time. And you have the revolution, the Haitian Revolution, right. really changes. Um, well, uh, the politics, especially with the Haitian Revolution. Uh, and also with the Haitian occupation, yeah. you know, that lingers in the minds of very of, of many of these Dominican conservatives. Um, and, you know, they're always using it to say, you know what, that's why we have to enforce stringent immigration policies, because they're, you know, this can be considered a silent invasion if we keep allowing Haitians to come into the country. So what happened in 1822, and it's a misconception. There's a misconception that the oh the Haitians are gonna take over. Right. And it's a they, total misconception. Misconception. And then I, I and they're not trying to do that. In 1822 to 1844, you know, Haiti took over. But the thing is, is that we were being oppressed by the Spanish. That's what I'm saying. You know, and for how many years? For like centuries. For centuries. Where's that energy for the for the Spaniards? It's the elites. So when you think about Americans, so when I'm in Europe, people think about oh, all the Americans are like the president. 
we're not like Trump. Right. We're not, we don't see this thing like this. Right. So the people at the bottom, looking at the Haitian Revolution, you have some black Dominicans that are like, yo, we never seen, we never seen a black dude on a horse. Right. This dude's on a horse. Right. And telling master to shut up, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of liberating. So they, they had a lot of different political views. And also there was a lot of changes. But um, independence was like the best thing for that they wanted. That's what the Trinitarios wanted. But they don't, you know, we can go into like how deep it is. But the Trinitarios, when they were able to get and, that, and the Trinitarios were a political party, political, more politically influenced, but they just wanted independence for the country. Dominican natives, okay. Criollos, Pedro Santana, you know, he was helping them in that fight against Haiti, but he double crossed them later on. So yeah. the Trinitarios never got to see what they wanted right. to happen. So you know the Dominican story is is a lot of back and forth. A lot, a lot of chronic rebellion. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. And then and then at 18, 1863, you had the restoration period, which connects DR, PR, and Cuba. Cause now they see we got to get it. We got to get rid of the Spanish. And who's there to help us out? The Haitians. The Haitians. They were ready to. They They're they fight us. Yeah. They got them hands. Ha- Haiti helped out on the Gran Colombia. Simone Bolivar, look I mean, that up. I mean, but Haiti, Haiti influenced the way slavery was in the States. Our slave yeah. masters were... Yeah. When they saw they that. Didn't want, they didn't want to, to, to bring in slaves um, from other countries. They were scared because they thought that they were, revolu- they were revolutionary or they were inspired or motivated to, to be revolutionary because of the Haitian slaves or, yeah. or the Haitians. No, but there was revolutions happening everywhere. But the Haitians, they, they just had enough. They had a very brutal... At that time, Haiti... Right. And, they, and they definitely overpopulated the masters, right? Yeah, they, but they were very... That was the richest colony. Right, exactly. You know? Which is why the, the slave to, to slave owner ratio was mm-hmm. was pretty disproportionate. I'm, I'm actually going to talk about this tomorrow. I have a class tomorrow. But we're going to talk about when they were split. Mm. Damn, I'm like so urban with this. Uh, you can never get any money. All right? So when the Spanish came to the Hispaniola... They were making mad money. All the dudes. It's like a it's like the drug game. They see they, they have a lot of blocks. Just think about this as 151st, right? Right. You got 150th, you got 145th, you got all these blocks, but everybody wants 151st for some reason. Right. Because it's making money, money, right? right. And it's a train uh, station right there, boom, boom, boom. Everything is so but nobody's Irons. looking at nobody all the all the European powers, which you had the Dutch, the Portuguese, the British, and the French. They all went after this little, little, little island off Haiti called Tortuga Island. Man, they fought there for years, boom, 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 boom. Fought there for years. And the Spanish was like, yo, everybody is coming at more money, more problems. I call it more colonies, more right. problems. Right. So everybody wanted, out of all these islands, they wanted to fight against us. Once they were able, the, the French ended up getting the treaty. And they got the other half, just to, you know, just to have peace. And after that, that was a chess move. That was a chess move because they, you know, they got San Saint Dominique and Santo Domingo, and they just they saw how much money the Haitian soil had a lot of value because they have a lot of hills and mountains. All that rain that comes down goes into the north part of the of Haiti into Santiago. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know you from Santiago. I'm not. I'm from uh, San Francisco, Macorís. I mean. Directly, but who knows what where yeah. my great great grandparents are from? You will plant a nickel in in Santiago, and you're gonna have a money tree. That's how fertile it is. 
parts of the, when it's getting closer to that in Haiti, it's also like that. So mm-hmm. they they saw the value of this island, and they just they were just thinking about they just kept money, money, money. Yeah. So you know, Napoleon was the guy at that time, and he's just you know fighting battles, and he had New Orleans. Nobody could beat him. But guess who was the first people to knock knock him out? Was the Haitians. Yeah. That 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 kind of like blew in you know around the world. That was a shock. Well, that was the first time that slaves had revolted and won. Yep. They wanted everybody free. So if you're, if, it's not that they were looking at, oh, oh, he's black over there, he's enslaved, nah, he's Dominican. No, they're looking at, yo, we're all African. I'm going to go to that side and help them out too. So that's what happened. They went to the eastern side and took over. You know, and if you was a slave owner, which m- many of them were like criollos and slave owners are the ones that are writing the books, they're going to make you the bad guy. Like, oh, they... Br- they killed, the, you know, they killed everybody. Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. they was trying to they decapitated exactly. everyone. But they had progressive, progressive um, policies at, in those 22 years. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that, you know, the new development and having two countries, they ended up having so much debt. Oh, right, right. Because France was like, you know what? Okay, you took over the colony, but yep. if you don't pay us our damages... We're going to go and invade. So, look, I'm going to give it to you in an analogy. It's like if you meet a nice young lady, right? You're like, damn, yo, she got it going on. She got her shit together. Can I curse? Yeah, of course, of course. Okay, you know, of course. You know, listen, listen, man, this is free thought. You know, I, I mean, I'm, you know, FYI, forgive me for, for the language. It's okay, it's okay. People, but, you people. know, you guys, you, you meet a shorty, you got your shit together, and you guys get a place together. So, Haley's the girl. Right. She got it. She got the money and all that, but she has a lot of debt. Mm. You become free now because she lets you live with her. So now y'all living together, but you don't have no debt. But she's asking you, like, you need to help me with this debt. But you notice how much debt she has that all that free time you had before you hanging out with your boys in Dykeman. There's no more Dykeman for you, buddy. Now you have to work on the weekends because you're trying to help her out. Now you're like, I don't want to be with this person. You know, it's just that frustration. I, you know, you were, you were a lawyer for divorce and all that, correct, right? Well, you know, I do mostly criminal defense, but, but I have done some matrimonial stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you know that one of the first things is finances. You know, according to many studies, finances is the number one reason for divorces. So, and they saw that, hey, we don't want to be tied down to this, this debt. Plus, it felt to many Dominicans that owned their land because slavery was different in DR. You so, know. so you're saying that Haiti had a lot of debt, too much debt, and all the Dominicans and you know that were exposed to Haitian policies were like, okay, so even though you overcame your masters, your slave owners, you are still responsible to a foreign government because of the debt that you owe. So it felt like they're being, it felt like oppression. Right. If right. you own your land, plus a lot of the Criollos, so they had a hundred years of misery. A hundred years of misery. Spain was like. Spain was like a fuck boy, man. They they went in there, they they did all they what they could do. They like they found something better. They said, like, oh, we go to Cuba, we go to Puerto Rico, right. we go to Mexico, mad gold, we out. I'm done with her. Those hundred years, you have the same amount of slaves. You have those criollos. Who the the kids of these criollos, which are Spanish descended people, who do you think they procreating with? The slaves. The slaves. Yeah. So now you have a lot of mulattoes. Now and now they're getting 
you know, inheritance. Right. Like it started changing. Slavery started changing. There still was a disparity of like color. Right. Of course, but but now the mulattoes are are actually taking on the positions left vacant from exactly. Spanish masters. And your right. father was. You know, so and so. Right. So now, even though you're, and that and that makes so much sense because you know, as Dominicans, the culture itself prides itself on being yeah. closer to that, not being that, but being closer to that Spanish heritage. Absolutely, no, I, and, and I see that in my family. I'm a Morenito, like, and I and I take pride in that. And my grandfather's from, you know, from Hato Mayor, that's north, and Moca, very light skinned guy. He always, you know, I love the guy. He's 95 years old. He still has old ways. You know, he walks around like, yo, I'm that guy. But because he's lighter. I know he he told me a story that he didn't like my other grandfather. Mm -hmm. They knew each other. He said, oh, that little Haitian kid, I don't like him. Mm -hmm. My grandfather, my other grandfather was, uh, uh, they call him a rajita. They'll put that on your, on your birth certificate. My family never told me I had these Haitian roots. But I found out doing history that you keep that low. I found out he's a rajita, and a rajita means that you're you you're half Haitian or you have Haitian descent. So and why why rajita and not just put the whole just put Haitian? No, they just you know they. It's, I, I guess to know, protect you at the time because protect, maybe the government wasn't too protect, but people knew fond. You know, people knew, and and I had to find out by doing research that I have Haitian roots, and I love and I embrace it. He will always let me know, like you're a little Haitian child. Mm. He would say that like to try to like play you or no. To he give says you... I'm his favorite. Okay. Um, but he, but it comes out. You know, you being the darkest, they, you know, your nickname will be my nickname in, in DR is Negrito Negro. My father they call him Negro. So how did you deal with that growing up? You know, being darker than. Would you say you were darker than most of the Dominicans I, that you encountered? Bro, I w- I will let you know that my family. In Harlem, shout out to the Santana family in Harlem. Um, we had dreads. We were cimarrones. We cimarrone means we he my uncle had a a, a bar called cimarrones in DR. That means in and if you look at the history books, free slaves from DR. Mm. So we were very pro black, despite his father being a certain way because my grandmother. But growing up, you know, it was a uh, I didn't think I didn't I never went to Salacha Heights. I just felt very different. I grew up with a lot of West Indian Jamaicans and and so and so. So sometimes I felt like I had to prove myself. Anytime I, when I was younger, I meet a young lady and she'd be like, "Are you Dominican? Say something in Spanish." Like she's giving me a Spanish lesson, and I'm like, "But you never been to DR. You lighter than me, but you never been to DR. I speak better Spanish than you." Mm-hmm. I always had to outdance everybody, and this is the reason why when I say about. I didn't want to play baseball. Right. Coming from a big baseball family, I didn't want to play baseball. I wanted to play basketball. All that time, me trying to prove, you know, that I could be down, but also trying to prove that I'm going to be one of the first Dominican. Like, right. watching Felipe Lopez make it, I'm like, yo, we we, we can do much more than baseball. Right. That's right. how I felt. This is this is me being, I'm a, I'm a rebel by nature. Yeah. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, growing up in... You know, Burke Avenue, Allenton Avenue, White Plains Road up there. Then, you know, you grew up with that strong West Indian culture. And, and I loved it. I embraced it. And, you know, growing up, I became Dominican. So how about like now? Because a lot of your work, as far as politically, yeah. you're you're involved in these Dominican, Dominican-American communities. How? I love it, man. Because now, 
I don't have to prove it. Now, for some reason, people look at me like, oh, you're Dominican. I was like, wow. That makes me smile. Because I remember I had long braids. And I, I I remember people talking about me in Spanish. And I would laugh, you know. But Dominicans, I'm very proud of being Dominican. I Dominican culture, man, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that not being able to speak Spanish and knowing, like, this culture that we have is crazy. Because... We're funny. Let me tell you something. <laughs> something, and I'm not saying this just because I'm Dominican or a descendant of Dominicans, right? Yeah. But I think we're we're hilarious. I think yeah. uh, we're social. Like we're very yep. social people, uh, storytellers, right? Yep. Uh, I used to love. I used to love my summers in the Dominican Republic bro, as bro, a child. We, man. we be exaggerating. Yo, if a Dominican tells you he got jumped. Yeah, I mean, he fought one guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fought one guy. He fought one guy. Or, 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 or like if the dude has a lot of money, no, it's a tiene, tiene mucho cuarto. My man got. Uh, he got a savings account. That's yeah, it. he has a he savings account, account and, he, and, and he has a car note. But no, 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 tiene mucho cuarto. Um, I, I, I love it. I was dancing. Is but the thing is, is that you go to DR, you go to the capital. You see, you see how happy people are yeah. without no money. For real, that's what I'm see, saying. That's what I really liked about my childhood, man. I would go back and I would hang out with these kids from from the neighborhood because my my grandmother decided not to leave the neighborhood um, that she bought a house in, yeah. and and that neighborhood wasn't doing so well. And my grandmother was stubborn, but it was great. It was great for me because as a young kid, I got to like socialize with with a whole bunch of kids from different social status backgrounds. Um, in the DR, man, and they were super happy, man, and they super were smart. smart, they were funny, yep. they were they were affectionate, you know, mm-hmm. they were talented in sports, um, they made something out of nothing, I remember I played, there was one summer, I played the whole summer with rocks in a sock, pretending it to be a baseball, and I had the most fun of my life in that summer. Yo, bro, I, and, and that's what I'm saying, like, being Dominican is gold, and I love it, I, I'm proud to come from, like, a great family right. you know but um one side you know i i realized that i also have i understand my history and there's no reason why we should hate another culture or have the disparity so immigration policies that all stems and when, when i say politics there's always two two to three sides in terms of politics right so while the trujillo era was happening not all the dominicans were bad that's why there are a lot of dominicans moved to new york Right. Because they wanted to escape that, but as as well as they wanted to have a new life, and you know you have people fighting. I'm just trying to be clear in that that in the DR people don't like black people. This and that. Yo, I man, they I I get a lot more love because I'm a dark skinned Dominican. Like I'm I'm seeing that right now. Man, I go to Dykeman, I get a lot of love. Like oh, todo Dominicano, okay, okay. We embrace that. You know, it just, I think sometimes in some parts of society, you could get characterized. I mean, we have issues. No, we do have issues. We have a lot of issues that we need to work on. And and I see that. But there's not all parts of the Dominican Republic is like that. And that's right. what I'm trying to say to people. You should you should go to San Pedro de Macorís, where they the original name over there, they call them the Cocolos of San Pedro. But it's just, it's because... The Cocolos is, is an endearing thing over there in that right. part. But everybody there, that's where the most of these baseball players come from over there because they're like Jamaican descent or St. Thomas. We had a president that was from St. Thomas. Like we have strong ties to other Western African diaspora. And like we have, like there's certain parts. Like my town is, when I go to the capital and I get in the car and I'm like, yo, take me to Mandinga. 
Mm. And they're like, nah, we're not going that far. We don't go in that hood, but we, I could leave you nearby, you know? But, That's you know, <laughs> but it's like, we, I'm just saying. But at least they'll leave you nearby. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying, like, there, there's so many different stories. There's two sides right. of the story. Right, right. And right. I know my, my experience in the Dominican Republic has always been wonderful. I okay. mean, of course, when I go to the rich side, I have rich solutions, right? Then you, you see that, and they're like, you know, they look different. But when you go to the hood, man, it's. It, the people are dancing in the street. People, the rain comes down. Everyone, yeah, everybody, everybody comes out, out in the rain. That was the first time I saw people <laughs> come out when it was raining outside to dance and play and, and and just have fun. Going back, going back to Cuba. Have you been to Cuba? Yes. Okay. How was that for you? It enriched my soul, man. Um, mm. What What year did you go? I went in two thousand seventeen. Okay. I yeah, went, I think I went around that time, two thousand sixteen, maybe. I went there to find my Cuban roots, man. Mm. You know, there's a lot of salas that come from there that went to the DR. And I was able to cross a relative that was the first congressional member, black congressional member. And I heard his stories, and, and he was the Bacardi rum plant from Santiago de Cuba because they were so used to using slave labor that when they got... Cuba was the second, second to last to end slavery. Brazil was last. Mm. This is 30 years after the U.S., so you still have, and, and you have Americans coming there. So you you have those strong Jim Crow laws. So mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's a big disparity. Now you have elected officials coming in of color. You have you know, famous Cubans with music. You know, you have Benny More, uh, which was like the first international star coming out. Then you have one of my favorite singers. Every time I break up with somebody, man, I play, mm-hmm. you know, I, you, y'all could put, put this on the list. Pee, put that on the um, Rolando Lacere. Rolando Lacere, he is, man, if you're a dude, you know you've been done wrong, you put that uh, on. You go, you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> nah, he just talks about his, you know, his... his Cutting his, his veins. Nah, nah, it's not even like that. It's just like, you know, he went out. You know, it didn't work out, but, you know, he's still in the game. He's going to work. Us men, we'd be messing up. Well, the situations where you did wrong and you had to listen to the song to be like, damn. You know, stuff like that. Like, damn, I got to do things differently. And and he was like one of those people that inspired Celia and La Lupe. So going into Cuba, because I wanted to just say this, is just... The people there, man, are wonderful. They make nothing out of something. Mm. And every day, even though many people are not happy... Yeah. Some, they need to work on their government. Right. And some people are, are happy, but it's a magical place. Yeah. There's this thing where, and, I, and it struck me as kind of interesting, even though it's not where you were going, Latino men love those types of songs, those cortavenas, right? Those, <laughs> oh, the woman has done me wrong. And how difficult it is for a woman to live with a saint. Because it was, you know, it's almost some narcissistic, like, like I'm a good man. I provide, like, you know, I love you. Like, why are you expecting so much from me? Like, <laughs> why and why are you leaving me? Like, I did everything right. Meanwhile, you he know? has two families. Meanwhile, he has two families, right? Exactly. <laughs> Not, we, exactly. we need to work on that. And, yeah. and, and that stems deep in our culture man. oh yeah that's listen man that, that's that, like years and years of of manipulation my cheese culture. culture um yeah man we could go yeah you is... know we could go far on that but um but just to talk about cuba real quick you know my experience in cuba i found folks to be relatively educated you very know? very you know yeah very 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 uh, i felt safe 
Um, the cigars were amazing, especially the, the cigars that I had. Um, I, I went to this place called called Vinales. Yes, I've been there. Whew. Lit. Lit. Mountains. Mountains, beautiful, so colorful, so yep. fertile. You know, it was just like so picturesque. You know, the beaches were amazing. I went to what beach did you go to? Verado, Vavaro. Oh, but that's the tourist. Was it? I didn't see anybody there, bro. No, I didn't see anyone. But that's the tourist one. Okay. She went to um, Santa Clara. There's a beach in Santa Clara. Mm. Where's that at? Is it like? Is it close to Havana? Yeah. Okay. And you would take that bus, and all the locals go there. Really? You know, I was, and it was beautiful, man. Man, listen, listen. I didn't I, go to I, Santa I, Clara. I, I went to. Verdadero, I think that's what it's called. I apologize for the Cubans if I'm mispronouncing that beach. Um, but it was probably top three beaches of all time. The water was wasn't cold. It was it was you could see your feet. Um, the sand was just perfect. Yeah. You know, if you could wiggle your feet in the water, just, just you yeah. can see it. You can see it. And you see little fish. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you can see it. You know, depending on. The time of day you see the fish smiling at you. What? <laughs> you, just, you just put a prayer up. I'm like, man, I made it. Hey. Today's going to be a good day. You know, and it's super romantic too, man, because Cuba itself is is a romantic place because yes. you see it as, wow, like this has not been tainted by um, hyper-capitalism. Uh, like you don't have... The underworld. To, the, there's an underworld. There's an underworld. I know there's a black market. There's a black market. But from from, from the eye on the surface, Mm -hmm. you don't see business advertisements. You don't see any, any, uh, you know, no one is is trying to, like, sell you on something. I'm sure they are trying to sell you on something because, you know, everybody was trying to sell me cigars. But what I'm saying is visually, you know, you don't see, like, cars of, like... You don't see luxury cars like that. Old school, old school old cars, school, old beautiful school old school cars. Yeah. Old school luxury, right? Because they had to maintain it, and obviously, right now there's something. But no, you still see some of that because you have Russians that go in there. Yeah. So also you, diplomats, diplomats, diplomats. I saw some diplomats riding around in Benzes in Cuba. But, so that's the thing about the. Some Cubans are gonna be mad at me about this. Like I like Fidel. Mm. But at oh, the shit. end, at the end, yeah. That's it. We're a target. End, we're a target. Now. I mean, look, look. I work in government. I work with a lot of people. The there. whole state of Florida is gonna, oh yeah, gonna find out who you are. They're gonna be like, sacalo, sacalo. Yeah. Oye, chico, sacalo. <laughs> um, but I, um, you know, when he died, he died with nine hundred million worth of nine hundred million. That's crazy. Like I feel like if you a politician, like I don't, you should not I don't have understand why million. people like like this. This is the thing. Like I work in politics, right? And as an elect, like I want, like you got to represent the people, so you got to look like the people. You can't be. I just don't understand how you get that. How he hoarded that. Like if you're a man the of country, the people, yeah. if you're a man of the people, that's what he ran on. Like I saw a lot of poverty over there. I did see poverty. But the thing is, is that I don't understand how you sleep. At night, knowing I, I, I have a, I, I mean, have you a sleep on a very expensive mattress. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, but you then you you sleep in your mattress, smoking a cigar in this in your penthouse, and you're like, damn, get better now. I just I can't I can't live like that, you right. know. And that's why I feel like people, when we look at elected officials, like when I know when I like Juan Bosch, you know, the Dominican Republic, if we were able to sustain that, if the U.S. didn't intervene in that, 
Man, we had we had we had a good one there. But uh, let me no, so let's talk about okay, so let's talk about US intervention, right? And going back to Cuba. The Cuban embargo you know, the Cuban embargo cut the legs of the revolution, right? Um, to prove a point, too. To prove a point, right? So, I, you know, I wonder, um, you know, what Cuba would have been if it wasn't for the U.S. embargo. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, bro. Did you know about Cuba before that happened? Castro was able, that whole embargo happened in 62. Castro got it in 59. So they were still working. Mm-hmm. Like Castro is a revolutionary. That's a guy with the thought. It's like Nipsey. Nipsey is a revolutionary. But to be a politician, you got to be able to be able to be in the table and negotiate the right way that's right. going to go long term. I don't think Castro had that. Mm-hmm. So long term, like housing and this and that, like it just. What he, what his idea in the beginning, it yeah. didn't go, it didn't go the right way. Yeah, he had the spirit. He had the spirit. That's he had the spirit, and then egos get involved because now you want to stand up to the U.S. I mean, he went to the, he went to the U.N. and and called them out. Right. You know, and, and 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 that's part of nationalism. And look, if you look into Castro, and I know my OG JC is gonna be happy when I say this is that. If you look at the. The correlation with Castro, well, he, I don't know if he likes Castro, but Castro to Tucson. Mm-hmm. Fidel Castro was one of his main idols was Tucson. You know, it's... Uh, Tucson, which was the... Uh, for Haiti. The one that led the slaves to... Yeah, but he wanted, like, he wanted to create a civilized society. Right. And that's when he went to... He ended up going to France and getting killed. He got tricked. Because he Tucson. Wanted, Tucson got killed in France. Got, so it's like he wanted... So a lot of things about state, the state owning certain parts, going to going to Cuba, right? But also living in Norway, which is a social democratic country. Right. But also growing up in poverty in New York City, and you seeing that, right? Knowing how much government folks, right? Like how you know you used to look at presidents, or even if we look at the police, right? This, let's just look at the New York City budget: six billion dollars. Dumb niggas can live off three million. Right. They could live if they take a year off and take three million. They are gonna be all right. Right. They can't. They, there's no way that they can't do their job. Just don't buy nothing new. They always buy helicopters. Yo, you know how many helicopters dudes have? Boats. This that. It's a lot of technology there. Interesting. I mean, I I do agree. Policing is is important in terms of making sure things are. In order, right? But it has to be done the right way. Right, right. You know what? I just, I just googled this right here. Yo. The the U.S. Chamber of, of Commerce estimated that the embargo cost U.S. economy one point two billion per year in lost sales and exports. However, the Cuban government estimates that the embargo cost the island itself seven hundred and fifty three point sixty nine billion. Too much. You know. Again, the question is. If Cuba, being a socialist beacon of, you know, the Caribbean, right, or you know, at the time, if they would have allowed to exist without this embargo, would they have flourished? Would their influence 
their socialist influence, what you see in Norway, you know, and I'm not saying Norway was influenced by Cuba, but Norway is obviously a lot more socialist than the U.S., would we have seen that more spread out throughout multiple countries because people would have been inspired and said, you know what, these guys are, you know, these guys are, everyone's getting educated, everyone has health care, you know, everyone seems to be happy. You know, what would have happened if that embargo was not put in place? Bro, but that's what was going to happen in in 1961 in the DR. With Juan Bush. Yeah, they put a stop to that. Then you look at also Nicaragua, this and that. So it's like, in this side of the world, they were like, we're not having that. Right. So it's, um... It's 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 a it's a hard conversation, and they were, you know, going going against the system, right. and I, that's why I respect Castro for going against his fearlessness. Right. But the way he ended up through years, he ended up hurting the people. Yeah, you know so how. That's, like, that's how do you die? You know, like if it's true what you said, you you die with nine hundred million dollars. Like, how is that possible? I mean, that's what they say. Right. Because I, I also... You, know, I, I, you, also, you, also, you also gotta look at the sources. No, don't, don't look at no Wikipedia. <laughs> no, no. Or, sorry. you know... I read it somewhere, but it's... Uh, you know, and I don't go by he say, she say, because if you hear about that, it's always America coming up with this guy's the bad guy and this guy's the good guy. And when you don't really know the story, because right. when I think about Juan Bosch, he's always the bad guy here. But Juan Bosch was the truth, man. Yeah, man. So... So much, man. We got got deep into like... Yeah, yeah. We got real quick into the history. Talking about history in in the African diaspora, whether it's in the Dominican Republic or Cuba. You know, you teach history of the African diaspora, right? How are your your Latino students responding to that? And how are African-American students responding to the fact that there's so much richness in the culture of the African diaspora outside of Africa? I had my first class last week, two weeks ago. And the first thing I told the Dominican students is that you might struggle in this class. Mm. Don't think you're going to get an easy A because what you've been taught, it's not what's going to happen here, guys. Right. You know, we're going to go way before Trujillo. Mm. And Trujillo is not the first president. Right? We're going to go way before that. Usually my African-American students and people in the Caribbean, they flourish. Except some of the words in the textbook, which in Spanish, but they flourish because there's an understanding there. Mm. And they see when you have people fighting for revolutions and you have people fighting for equality, in the history books, they're put down as the bad guys or right. whatever, or they try to diminish Unstable, it. Unstable, uncivilized. Exactly. So, um, but I, I try to bring that to light. Mm. One of the biggest things that I bring up to light, like I, I always say, yo, Dominican women played a big part, especially shutting down Trujillo. Of course, like Mana Mirabales. Even before that, there's a lady there, there's a lady, there's a lady named Abigail Mejia. And, uh, wow, and and I just forgot her first name, Weber, last name is Weber. Two Dominican women that went straight at him. He ended up giving them the right to vote. He ended up giving them, you know, like, even in history books, you have a lot of movements and usually Dominican women are in the forefront, bro. Right. But they just, like, they get cut off. They get cut off. They're not, so, they're not included in the chapters. So a lot of, they, you know, I have Dominican women actually do good in the class as well. And people outside of the culture. It's just, you, you have some, some super nationalist dudes that might struggle, but at the end, they see, I try to break it down as simple as possible. Oh, I, I don't even tell them who's 
progressive views of this. I'm like, oh, I like that. I will live here. Right. And I just take off the blindfolds. Like, boom, that's Haiti, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, would you like to live there? And then I take off the blindfolds. Oh, that's DR. Right. And in 1844, which one you want to live at? But, you know, and, and that's part of our history where we saw, we were, in the DR, it's the only country you get rid of your colonizers and you bring them right back. Right. That's Think funny. about that. Think about yeah. that. People are like, nah, I miss being colonized. Just to bring it back full circle, I had a conversation with Angie from Dominican Writers, right? And we talked about how... Shout outs to her, y'all. Yeah, shout outs to her. She's a gem. How the Dominican elites were always or based on the history books, they were always in bed with the U.S. in wanting to get, you know, have some sort of a relationship so that the U.S. can go in there and pretty much purchase the island. And they just wanted to benefit from it. That has nothing to do with a Trinitario spirit. That has everything to do with the elites wanting to aggrandize themselves. And it's a big history part of that. And she's 100% right. When the Trinitarios won, Pedro Santana came in and said, yo, I don't think... I don't think we could govern ourselves. Let's bring back Spain. Right. right. This one guy from the top with money and spoke to the elites and got Spain back. They realized in, 1960, in 1863 when the Spanish started treating um, the Criollos. Criollos are like descendants of Spain, Spanish, but right. you've been living in the Dominican Republic for 100 years. They let them know, like, yo, we ain't the same. You guys eat mango. Mm. We eat tapas you know we have we have a whole different culture so now their social ladder in that in the country diminished right and um and you start seeing that and, and they start seeing that oh we're not really like them and then later on you start seeing that that civil war happen when you see hostels coming from puerto rico help out cuba and it becomes a collective fight this is why we're so connected everyone from dr to haiti right. pr and cuba right it's so important for you know, not the, only Latinos, but everyone to know yeah. that we're connected and um, and what connects us is the African diaspora. As, as well and as the, Jamaica. You look at Jamaica. Of course. Jamaica and Trinidad. Trinidad's capital, what is it? I, I'm sorry, I put you on the spot. What's the name of it? It's escaping me right now. Port of Spain. Port of Spain, right, right. Trinidad is a Spanish. Trinidad. If they never changed colonizers and the Spanish didn't get defeated, they would have been dancing bachata. Right. And Jamaica, too. Jamaica was a Spanish colony at the beginning. You know? After all these different wars and, you know, you, right, you change exactly. colonizers. Yeah. We have different colonizers, but we have the same mixture. The same right. African slaves. We all come from West Africa. And then you mixed up right. through slavery. Have you done your DNA ancestry? Man, I want to do that so bad, man. Yeah, man. I, I did it. Um, Mid-20s came from West Africa, from Ghana, Nigeria area. You know what's crazy is that my, my sister, who yeah. is light-skinned, Green eyes, uh, she has softer hair. Yeah. Uh, she came out with uh, 12 points higher in percentage-wise of, of West father. African, yeah. same father, same mother. And it's because wow, she got certain traces from the African ancestry that I didn't get. But again, she's, light, she's lighter yeah. than I am, um, and uh, she has softer hair, which, which comes to show that Exactly. You know, it's really not about the physical attributes. You Bro, know? I have so many siblings. Or it's not me, all about the physical no, attributes. No, like, I look at my siblings. I'm the oldest, so-and-so 12, but my father recognized seven. So, I'm the darkest. But I'm pretty sure, and I'm way darker than all my siblings. Mm. My sister, you know, she's 
she's a lot lighter than me. Nobody will think that's my sister. I mean, I'm, and we have our fathers, and we, we, we have, you know, a big mixture. So that's the that's Dominican melting pot. You know, it's, a, it's the first place of, it's like land of the mulatos. Right. You know, so it's an interesting place, man. And if anybody wants to go to DR, they should, man. It's a, and they should not just go to the resorts. Right, of course, you got to mingle with the people. Yeah. See, you know, because I think, I, I really do think that if you go out there and you hang out with the people, you, you come to see that exactly. there's a lot of Afro-Dominicans that are super proud. Yo, I, when I lived in Norway, right? And this is my cousin. My cousin blocked me because he says I talk too much about Africa and all that. He's like, he's tight. But I remember I had a roommate. He was from Nigeria, right? And the Nigerian dude, my roommate, he basically fried some plantains mm. with some eggs and some and some sausages. And, he look, and my cousin said, looked at him, oh, you must have been in DR and learned that. I just looked at him. Idiot. <laughs> Bro, I mean, I don't know your cousin. <laughs> no, no, he is. He, he blocked me. I, I, I had a screenshot, but I didn't, I didn't want to expose him. I just sent it to the whole rap family. You know yeah. what? I, I want to talk to you about Norway, but before we get there, yeah. uh, you know, like I want to know about your experience as a young man in Harlem. You know, whether that experience, yeah. um, or was it the BX? Because you yeah. have some history oh. in Harlem and also the BX. Yes. Okay, and. Um, you know, were you into politics as as a young child, I, as I a young man? I was not. Okay. I did. You know, as a young kid, you see these politicians you can't relate to. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you. My whole neighborhood was West Indian, and we had like a bunch of white guys there. Right. And I'm like, I've never seen you guys. There's some of those politicians as a kid I never seen. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's AOC's. With AOC one, we had. You know, Crowley already lost, right? Crowley was there, and I'm looking at this dude. I've never seen this dude. AOC, she's Latina. You know, she represents the people. Like, she looks like the people there. And what many people... Is she present? Is she physically present with the people? A lot more than Crowley. Okay. I never... I was there. He was there for 20 years, and I was like, who is this guy? So I never was into politics until I went to Norway. Gotcha. When I went to Norway, honestly, I never thought I'd be working in politics. I just never thought that, I just care so much about my community now, living in Norway, you see. And you went to Norway for grad school? Grad school, but my family lives there. Okay. My father's side of my family lives there. Mm. And I went there, after my father passed, I went there to meet them. The government over there really takes care of you. Mm. Nobody's trying to rob you, you know why over there? Because everybody's taken care of. If you work a certain place, if you work in a grocery store, you're going to be okay. Nobody is in this high tense of poverty. There's poverty everywhere, of course. But the government takes care of you. It's not a winner's or loser's country. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, there's an attitude that uh, when I, whenever I speak to friends that are from Norway, they talk about it's so intrinsic to the culture, which is a John Telovin attitude. Have you, have you came across that? Which is, it's this attitude that characterizes not conforming or uh, doing things out of the ordinary, or uh, being personally ambitious yeah. as as unworthy and um, inappropriate, you know, yeah, that this is, this is, yeah, yeah. which is which is totally contrary to being a Harlemite, right, or a New Yorker. So when um, I went there, I remember my first day going there. I had my had my big two big earrings. I idolized Cameron, mm-hmm. FYI, right. Dip so set, I came in there. Dip yeah, I came in there with a dipset sweater. Had two big earrings, a chain. My chain always had to be out. This is this is me, ten years ago. 
I'm walking around, and you know, as a New Yorker, you, just, you know, back in before gentrification, you you feel good stunning on somebody. You're like, I'm the man here. You know, I'm the guy that runs here. Over there, you being that guy that's showing off, you're so whack. You look down upon. E- even when you're talking to someone and you're getting to know somebody, nobody asks you what are you what do you do. Right. They want to know how do you feel. How do you, how do you look? How do you look at this? Yeah, how do you? They want to. They want to know. Then later on, because nobody's trying to measure up your salary. Mm-hmm. But so living in Norway in the first three years, I see my cousins. I have first cousins there. A lot of them, and I see them. The government gives you money to get your life together, bro. So when you say they give you money to get your life together, um, are you referring to like like welfare? Are you referring? Nah, they they have a fund. Uh, a oil fund it comes into because of oil and all that but they yeah also, because because that country is definitely independently endowed right they, they have natural resources natural like petroleum resources. fish forests they've been minerals. saving money and the labor unions have been so entrenched in that country it's not what Bernie Sanders talks about right. it's not AOC talks about they have a free market mm-hmm. and that's a misconception so if you're an entrepreneur they encourage entrepreneurship but the thing is is that Healthcare and education, that's off the table. That's not part of the capitalistic thing. Gotcha. Education, if you step on soil over there, and I, and I look at all the Americans, you know, if you're hearing this, I apply for school in Norway, bro. You're gonna, if you get in, it's free. I mean, well, you got to pay $50 of a fee for your whole master's. Wow. But the thing is, is that they believe that everybody has the right to be educated. Properly if, educated. Properly educated. And if you're not from there... You're going to educate where you're from. So they take a lot of people from parts of Africa and America. So my thing is that they wanted me to make sure I come back and I educate people over here. Mm. Because I come from poverty. I'm like, yo, I don't have a son. So growing up in New York and in poverty, I never thought I will have master's degrees and going in for a PhD and Mm. being a professor. This is like a surprise to me. It's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if that contributes that that way of thinking. The fact that they that they support their residents or their occupants, right, in in such a way um, where they don't have to. And obviously, we're generalizing here, right? Yeah. But it appears that they create a system where um, there's not a need for survival as much. That people can actually do what they want. As far as like pursuing careers that they're interested in, absolutely. Um, because some people go so looking at New York, in New York, in the United States, some people go to college because they're like, "Yo, I want to get some money." Right. When you talk to a Norwegian, I remember you talk to a Norwegian student, they're like, "Oh, I'm interested in rocks and anthropology, and you know, they right, just, they're not worried about they're not they're not worried, they're not worried about, about like having to provide. They want to do what they love first, right? And they know." So I, I believe in education being free. Uh, like CUNY used to be. It used to be free. Um, healthcare. If you break your leg, how are you going to say no to somebody? Like, right. oh, oh you have, I'm sorry, you don't have enough the right insurance. Right. Yeah, you're going to die today. Yeah. You know, it's over there. I, I, I play basketball, and like I said, basketball is not life anymore. I'm getting older. I broke my leg. I didn't pay a cent. I paid $10. For a fee, and then they just made sure they took care of me for for about a year and a half. That's crazy. So when Why did to, you come back? What immigration policies, probably? I came back because I feel the great like I still would go back, but I just feel that like I want to do good here, man. 
Yeah, you don't want to be happy. Norway. No, I, I want to be happy. Norway is like the first, right? First Nor- place of the happiest countries in the world. Norway, Denmark is always Denmark. Four. So but, it's it's always but, like top four, top yeah, five. Yeah, top five. Yeah, it's always up there. I came back with a mission to like really help my people, man, mm. because I saw what government effectiveness looked like. Right, I right. saw, like we have, we make way more money than any other country. By far. Yeah, we have the largest economy. Yeah. Largest economy. GDP every year is a lot, a lot larger. But there's the 1% getting most of that. Yeah, the income gap is ridiculous. Out there, um, I believe I read somewhere that uh, the Norwegian society kept wage difference between lowest paid worker and CEO of most companies way lesser than other Western European countries. When so was, they want to make sure that everyone is getting a fair shake. Also, also when you when you die... Most Americans die in debt or owing. Like, you go own a house, and if you have a lot of debt, they'll probably take your house, right? Like, a lot of state mm. items. Yeah. In Norway, when each person dies, they have almost a quarter million worth. Hmm. And I think that it just goes by, if you're paying taxes and you're doing all these great things for your nation, the people have to, like, really feel it. So, the stress, like, working crazy hours and stuff like that, sometimes I think about it. And I'm like, damn, I really want, like, it's it's a difference growing up in Harlem, in the Bronx, in poverty. In the 90s to early 2000s, not now, where you didn't have all these fancy restaurants in the neighborhood. Like, you had to go downtown. Right. And people didn't travel to the boroughs. I'm talking about having all these things accessible to you. Over there, you can be from anywhere. You could be straight out of, you know, China. And you're going to have these resources. I was straight... I, when I migrated there in 2011, like I was going back and forth, but in 2011 I went there, I was able to get my own crib. I was able to get educated for free and I, and live good. And I didn't have to worry about it. I just had to make sure I kept my grades up. So also student loan. Student loans, they have a system where you could take out a loan. The school is free, but you right. could take out a loan to get your... You know, to make sure everything is paid for. Because um, it's also... They have... Of course, they have a private institution that they, they charge people. Right. But if you get an A, you don't have to pay that loan back because mm. you work your ass off to get a great grade. So everybody's fighting for that A. That's interesting. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, a, it's like, just ma- imagine you take out $40,000 and you got straight A's. You could, they, The government tells you, you can keep that now. Hmm. You're one of your... You're doing good in our country. How much of it do you think is due to the to the size of the population? Yeah, I know, I know uh, a large amount of natural resources in Norway compared to the size of the population works in their favor, right? Yeah. So I wonder if stringent immigration laws but, but has led to the increasing quality of life for the people that live there. So two things. I'm gonna break that down in two things. Right. It, they value immigration. They open the doors to make sure immigrants, because they see immigration it. They have a higher um, population in age. Right. But the thing is, they know that immigration is a workforce. And workforce brings in money. Right. So immigration is important to them. Okay. And they always emphasize how much they care and they want immigrants. Right. Some parts of Norway. Because you have those, Norway from the from the boondocks, but in Oslo and Bergen. Bergen is the west, the west side, right. the second biggest city. They emphasize like, hey, we want, you know, immigration is cool. And they have this big tight society where you have right. a lot of retreants. Right. You know, you have a lot of Somalis and you have a lot of people from Morocco and they go there. And now they start to have their wave of Dominicans. Mm. 
Mm. You know, and you know, the Washington Heights over there is lit. Really? It's lit. Here, like we have the biggest immigration population as far as numbers, right? Yeah, but immigration is important because it, it, it gives up in their, in their labor force. But when you look at also GDP, look, you can have all the resources and, and, and savings. So it's like two people. In, like Norway is a, it's like if it's a person, there's a person that inherit money. They don't. They make zero money mm. off salaries. They don't have no money, right? Mm. But they have money that they saved up and they can waste it in a mm. certain way because they have a lower population. But we have, yo, it's like America is a person that's making two million dollars, but you have a lot of debt. Right. When I wrote my thesis in two thousand and five, so this is the numbers of two thousand and five. Because I'm just thinking about it and I put it on my thesis. They invest almost thirty to forty percent mm. of their budget in military. Mm. Three three percent of education, you know, like these little numbers and things that, if you put that in the hood, it'd be a different story. Right. When you're in poverty and you don't have a cent and you have a child, you're gonna go out there and get it by any means. Right. That happens in 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 New York because they don't have it, but in Norway, you don't see robberies because people are looking at you like. Why are you robbing me, bro? Right, right. Like, like, you, you, like you don't need it like you, that. You don't, you don't need it like that. You, right. you just apply for this, you know, and you're going to get it. Right. You know, unless you have, like, you know, this, they, they do have, you know, their share of depression and drug issues. That's a whole different thing. Right. I wonder if the depression deals with the, the fact that usually the days are shorter out exactly. there. Exactly. No, and, and, that, and that's what it is. Like, in the summertime, is, you know, you go to the club, you come out, it's sunny. Like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. But in the wintertime... It's dark all the time, mm. and that that would drive you kind of insane. I I lived there for five years, and I was going crazy sometimes. Really? So when you lived there, you enjoyed living there. You enjoyed your experience there. You enjoyed interacting with Norwegians. Did you sense a different way of like race playing out out there as opposed to the U.S.? Nor is not known for multiculturalism, but it's very multicultural, especially mm. in the big cities mm. of Oslo. Um, they're very open in terms of interracial marriages. Like that's what one, first thing you see over there. Really? Yeah. Um, you see a lot of. I mean, when I was over there, I learned a lot about. People were curious of like, you know, who's this little African boy mm. speaking Spanish, you know, and then they were interested in learning about more Dominicans and and Cubans and Haitians and this and that. Like they 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 find that very interesting. They're really big in hip hop. Really? They've said it's big over there. Well, obviously you brought it out there. No, nah, I didn't. No, nah, they 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 big on hip-hop. They have a lot of Norwegian rappers. And that's one of the main stops that rappers do. Um, so they love black culture, like everybody does. Um, right. But you see a lot of people from Africa, a lot of people from Ghana, Nigeria. And they live comfortable. And, you, and, you know, that's one thing. I, I just felt white supremacy... You feel it here in New York. And right. I'm not saying the United States. In the United States. No, I feel the same way. I feel the same way with uh, just even the way people of color are in those other countries. Yeah. The sense of divisiveness is not present. And I mean, it's, it's still there. I'm sure it is. It's still there. I'm sure it is, especially in UK, um, yeah. you know, in France. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen some things, but not to the extent that you see it here in the U.S. In, in Norway, they, they I, I never, and this was like 2011 when I first went there. I loved it as soon as I got there. And the Norwegians looking at me, you from New York, 
why you want to live here? Mm. But people are just so, like my clique, my boys, we're all from everywhere. Mm. We have a guy from Palestine. I was, of course, a Dominican. They have, we have a guy from Afghanistan, Iran. Like everybody's from Sri Lanka. Right. Like the clique, and like a lot of Norwegians, like, I'm from, I always rep my hood over the Gruna Loka, you know what I mean? Loka, Loka. What is that? What, what is that? That's like, it was getting gentrified now, but it was like the spot, it's the spot. Like you see more artsy culture, people playing basketball, basketball is big over there. So it's, um. You know, the country itself, I think, borders about four countries, right? I think it borders Denmark, Sweden. Yeah, Denmark, Sweden, Finland. Finland, right? And I think. No, it's it, three hundred. I think in this northern part is no. probably Russia. Mm, you know what? Yes, in yeah. Finnmark. Right, right. Finnmark, okay. because I have I I used to date somebody all the way up to the top. Okay. And she had like that. It's like two or three miles that goes into Russia. Mm. And the people over there look a little different. Mm. But um, but people over there, man, they 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 love to see cultures. Like you see a lot of people from Thailand and things of that nature, and um, Kenyans. But I. I like when I was there, I just I I learned to embrace it right. because I I because like like if you look at old New York, you know, New York wasn't as New York is a multicultural city, but it was very segregated. Mm-hmm. So you lived in some parts of the Bronx, you will never see somebody white. You would probably be like, yo, what's what's going on? Who's this guy? So so it's less segregated out there. That's what you're saying. Everybody is just together. Interesting. And um, I mean, you have hoods where everybody it feel comfortable. Like societies, like you have um, parts where a lot of Dominicans live. You have parts where where mostly Somalis and uh, called Grolan, more the Muslim pop- population lives. But most of it is in Oslo. I'm talking about this is the city right, of Oslo. This is the city of Oslo. You see, you see it, and then you see a part that there's more money, of course. Right. Um, like in all in all countries. Yeah, like but you still see. I mean the the other Dominican that I lived in he that lived there that I was very cool with, and he had like an identity issue heavy because he was like a dark skinned Dominican like me, and he lived in the like the sub like the good area, like he felt like he's looking at Dominicans and Instagram and how we act and he wants to be extra and I looked at him and I laughed because I'm like now he's trying to be extra Dominican to prove that he's Dominican and trying to outdance everybody bachata and stuff right, like that right, so. Right. But everybody in Norway was just they embrace you. Right. What I what I particularly found interesting about Norway was their criminal justice system approach. Yes. Um, you I'm know, glad you're touching into that. Norway criminal justice focuses on the principle of restorative justice and rehabilitating prisoners, right? Yes. And which is why the recidivism rate is so low. Um, I think um Within people have two years, mix. it's like twenty percent, which is like yeah. forty to fifty percent less, lower than the U.S.'s recidivism rate. Because I think it's like 67 percent. But it goes it goes in, intertwined with everything else. How they invest their money, right? You get what I'm saying? Like you're not you're not gonna rob somebody. I mean, there's of course there's of robberies course there's people, everywhere. Yeah. Mental you health know, issues, mental health issues, but also there's people that just want to make a name for themselves, right? But then a lot of people that are the necessity isn't that present exactly Mm -hmm. so you I remember losing my wallet in in, in the park I went there the next day my passport was there and people were like hey 
You're the American guy, right? Right. Boom, they 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 make not a dollar was was changed. Like like people didn't take it. Right. I'm just trying to say that, yeah, they try to they try to rehab you and try to see you know to make you understand right. um, what went wrong and and how you could become a better citizen. Right. But there is a contrast to that. I had in a family member of mine had we don't want to talk about it too much. We had a family member that was murdered. Okay. Um. Of course, they're Dominican. They'd be like, this person killed my sister. You know, they got 11 years. You know, sometimes they feel like, man, like, this is crazy. Like, it never happened, you know, because 11 years go by so fast. Right. So people have their... their, their, their qualms about that, right. There's mixed feelings. But I do feel Norway has the right approach in terms of most... I, I look at... When you when I meet people that are labeled criminals in the United States, I don't look at them as criminals. I just feel like they were in a bad place at that moment. Right. And they, they didn't know what was going on. Or so sometimes an argument went just a little bit too far. A too or far. Some, you know, they like, and they just needed to know, like, why why did I snap? And they they try to get psychologists. Like they don't just put COs there. They have C, they have officers that work in the in the judicial system there, but they also have psychologists and, mm. and and they they have a whole system there to make sure that you know not to do this again. Right. Because once you get out, the rate of people going back in is so low. Right, I know. Because of that, what did you see? Did you know of anything that happened? And I apologize if I keep you know, if I'm bringing this up because it dealt with a, a family member, but was there an effort from the government to uh, have to encourage some interaction between the offender and the family of the deceased? Your family, like, was he was was the was the offender the the person convicted of the murder? Was he just given a sentence, or was he given a sentence and he had to do something else? He was given his sentence. I'm. I'm. I don't know everything okay. thoroughly. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I would be interested know, in that. To know. But I know that he had his sentence, and it's not that you're doing hard crime and you're you gotta join it. You know, it gets and it gets worse inside. No. Right. Uh, but you know, I know he's already out. Um, in Oslo, and the thing is, is that they just want to make sure that you understand, like you did wrong. Right. And you need help, mental help, and. Um, to see, I guess my question is, did he get mental help? Did he get mental help in prison? I mean, I we 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 don't. Yeah, you don't know, and I'm sure you know. It takes a specific type of person. He's Dominican as well. Really, and he didn't get deported back to DR, so he's still in Oslo. But you know, we just didn't. We see him. We like yo, whatever you know. Okay. We just let it be. Society sees it like it's working. Okay. Because also, I had some. Young people are rebels, and you have some people that want to be troublemakers. And when you're young and you're trying to be a troublemaker over there, they look, this is one of the things that I found funny. People be like, "Why are you doing this?" Right. They ask the question. They don't label them as like, "Okay, no, like, like you're a other criminal." Other people, other people, like, "Okay, you want to be a tough guy? Why?" Like, I remember people telling telling me, "Like, why you want to be bad? Why you want to be the toughest guy? Like, where are you gonna like? You, it makes you think." I I actually I was born in Harlem, right? And I was raised in the Bronx. So there's a toughness that comes to that. But then I went to Oslo and I became a man mm. to become more rational. Mm. Like back then, when I was younger, I was stalled off. Like one of the reasons I really don't talk about it too much, one of the reasons why 
I lost my basketball scholarship is because I got in fistfights. I was known to get in fistfights back in the day. Now, I'm rational. I, I think about it. Because over there, they say, hey, if you get into fistfights, it's kind of disgusting to them. They're like, why? You, you can't talk it out? You're not, a, right. you're not rational to talk it out? You're not rational to see what can transpire? So they have a whole different system. And I think it, it goes down in terms of how they fund different programs. And if you have a lot of anger issues or things of that nature, they have they don't just bring cops like in our communities. Right. If you have an issue, they will they're gonna arrest you for no reason and that's just gonna make it worse. Right. And then that's just gonna create a whole rap sheet. Right. Over there they try to help you, they try to sit down with you and and yada yada yada. I mean they have a guy that is probably gonna have life and he's never gonna come out. It's, I don't know if you heard about July twenty second which is the Norwegian 9-11. Ironically, today is 9-11. Yeah. Where he blew up a building and, and killed a few... He killed 99 kids. Um, and, you know, that guy, he got 21 years, but he is... You know, they have a, a restorative justice system where they they allow him to go to university and also meet with people that are outside of his race to get an understanding. Like, because when people looked at him, he didn't understand there's a big Muslim divide there. He didn't understand Muslim people. So now they're trying to teach him what Islam is. Mm. You know, people have a misconception. Because right. um, even in our even in our society, we have a misconception of what Islam is. I'm not, I'm not Muslim, but I understand that is not what they see you see on TV. Right. So they try to teach you about other cultures. Okay. They try you know, to teach you. And, 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 you know, that's one thing about Europe in general, I think. Uh, when I first traveled to Europe, um, I realized that Europeans knew so much more about other countries, economies, and policies. Yeah. Uh, at first, I was like, damn, we Americans are really in a bubble. You and, know? and they also know other languages. So yeah, it, other languages. So it, teaches you, it teaches you how to communicate with the other person. Right, you, right. You know what I'm saying? Of so, course. Everybody in Norway, I think that everyone that I went to the university there, they speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... English, but, Spanish, and all that, so they could communicate with folks. Right, and to their credit, to their credit, they are, they are, you know, bordering so many other countries that they rely on. But they border it, but remember, in the United States, we have, they border it, but we have people that live in our communities, and we don't take the time to get to know these people. Right. You, you know, we don't take of the course. time to understand, um, you know, like, like, in the Bronx, we have a big Yemenese community. Why not get to know our neighbors and understand, okay, Ramadan is here. They're fasting. I, I think that's called diversity training, right? The diversity training. Right, something that uh, Trump is trying to ban on a federal level. You know, we... Uh, Calls it anti-American. And, and, and bans them. Bans their travel travels and bans our travel to over there just in case we want to understand. Listen, I don't know if you got it. I don't know if you understand, Remy, but like to understand different cultures other than the white American culture is so anti-American. And I need you to stop spreading this anti-American rhetoric. Okay, let's stop talking about. I that. mean, I know you're talking about Trump. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. uh, Trump is, you know, sad to say, as a New Yorker. Listen. You know, he, he, he just missed the point. So what I... What yeah, I, we, so I say we don't want to go down that up for us. I, I, I say my experience in Norway is, is that before the gentrification of New York, because that's, that's a period, before that, uh, 
I was able to like really understand other cultures and be open minded. If I don't know something, I'm gonna ask. You know what? But 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 you talk about being rational, right? But like you also took philosophy courses in Norway, right? Yeah, my ma- I have a MPhil. MPhil is a master's of philosophy. Okay, so how much of that program made you made you more rational? Because well, philosophy is interesting. Philosophy. Uh, when I started taking philosophy in college, it made you pretty much question everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, question yourself, interrogate yourself, as Socrates uh, term. This is this is the place where I learned. I become more introverted mm. coming back from Norway, where I used. To, I remember myself in the class. My class, that program, and I and I think they just got rid of it. I think this is the last year of that program where they take two people from different parts of the world. So it was. They picked the black American, black Latino American, mm-hmm. me. They had another guy, my boy Patrick. He's still there. He's from Massachusetts. He's still in Norway. And then you have different people from Africa, Asia, and China. And, you know, uh, Madag- we had a person from Madagascar. Mm-hmm. We had a per you know, like everywhere. And you put us all in one class. And when you put us all in one class, you, you start seeing. <laughs> I start seeing how superficial we are as Americans. Like they like we don't give we don't we you have celebrities that walk in in Norway and nobody cares yeah. that's that's not that's not doesn't have an importance right so that goes back to that attitude that I told you about that John Tilovan attitude which is like don't give yourself that much importance exactly as an American I had to learn that that narcissistic way as a New Yorker you had to learn no, that but I had to learn it because remember I said remember what I said. I, I idolize Cameron, and I love Cam. No, there's no, you know what I mean? I met Cam in my life. That was the biggest highlight. You know what? Yeah, you know, I want to talk to you about hip-hop. Um, you know, once we're done with this, I want to talk to you about <laughs> No, but let me, let me just say this. I grew, when I get, came over there, and everybody, you, you talk to, and that's how I knew how we connected with Africa. There was a, a few kids from Ghana, phenomenal human beings, and they changed my life. Right. I used to come in there with chains. I would get dressed up every day, and there'd be blizzards over there. And they're looking at me, you're wearing shoes today? So no, no snow boots today? I was like, man, I got to look fresh. Mm. I'm the fre- I, And I'm letting people know I'm the freshest guy in the program, in this whole school. I'm the mm. freshest. That's a big deal in America, right? Yeah, bro, out, right? bro, bro, you know what, what my <laughs> high school uh, statement was? I think I think uh, I got like second place well-dressed, and they asked me to make a statement. And you know what my statement was? Nah, let, let me know. I dressed like money in a thing. <laughs> because money ain't a thing. Jimmy you know? Green, Jay Z. <laughs> Jay Z, that was around that time. You know, it, it, you know, and I was like, bro, like I look back at that statement, I'm like, yo, bro, come on. Come on. Yo, money go- was a damn thing, bro. You got one Ava Rex and you all happy and shit, relax, bro. Yeah, no, I, I used to go in there, this is, remember, this is pre gentrification. Yeah. I'm coming in class with Vansons. Yeah. Vansons and Pele Pele's in my class. Mm-hmm. And I remember this, this Korean woman. Great human being. I remember, like, she was just amazing. And I'm just saying, like, you know what you're sitting next to, you know what you're touching. This is premium leather, baby girl. Right, right, right. But I was the poorest Should person. Should be an honor. Exactly. But I was the poorest person coming from of poverty course, doing of this. Bro. So then it just changed my mind on how I see the world. Bro, bro, imagine so, my situation when I'm at University of Buffalo sitting in a philosophy course, Intro 101. This class is like 200, 200 plus. 
actually it's not even a philosophy class. This was a, a macroeconomics class and it talked about income and levels of income and, and, and it talked about people that were in the poverty and I have the most expensive shit on in this class full of 200 people and maybe about maybe 10 of us were, were of color, yeah. you know, and I'm looking at that, at that scale and the income that they're talking about, that's poverty level. Exactly. That's where I come from. Yet I have $200 Jordans on. Yep. I got this expensive North Face on. And I'm like, oh, shit. And, and you know what I noticed over there? When you go to the bargain, and I, and I don't want to go into like how people socialize, like how people do it socially. You go to the bar. Like they're not checking for you. In New York, they were checking for like how fly you are. Mm. Dress code. The dress code over there, they were like. You got to be able to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I will be at the, my bar game was was I, I, it was weak in the beginning, but then it got strong. But what do you? Oh, you said a bar. Side? You said your bar talk had to be a bar, bar talk. That's it's, it's not like a bar. Okay, okay. Not, okay. Not, not, I know you're a lawyer. Not no, a no, bar. no. But that's what I'm saying. Like you know, they they they, they talking like I know when I'll be in New York. Right. I'm like get okay. Boo, boo, boo. Oh yeah, yeah. But oh, in Norway, it oh, was no, another, you have to another 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 part of the brain that you have to use because now it's not like. It's, it's not like you Every, can purchase a bottle and you can purchase a real everybody's estate. Everybody's making money. Right. Think about that. Like you, like, So I'm trying to like give you this, this visual where everyone, it's okay. The government really makes sure that you don't think you're above anybody. But if you're an entrepreneur, they encourage that. This right. is the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a free market economy. Right. But it's, it's a social democratic. So just, just to close up on that is that... Yeah. Education and health is out of the table. There's mm-hmm. you can't capitalize on that. Right. If somebody needs help, boom. If you if you can get into the school, you're gonna get educated for free, and what and you're gonna you can go get a PhD. I I'm I, I was getting my PhD over there. Sad to say, I haven't finished yet, but I'll finish it soon mm-hmm. one one of these days. Okay. But I'm I'm getting there for free. I'm paying student loans. When I had to go in front of my class and I told them about tuition, half of those people didn't even know what tuition was. Mm. Tell, try to explain tuition to some people that have never heard of tuition and they're asking me, why do you pay $40,000 right. for an Ivy League school? Because the U.S. is a pyramid scheme. So, and, you know, I don't want to put it out there but <laughs> like that, but I'm just saying that they want to make sure that you're well off, you got money, you got money where you can start your life. Right. And they emphasize home ownership. So everybody is like kind of straight. And I know that the population is smaller and they have resources up there. But you got to understand that we make way more money where we can distribute this worth of wealth just a little bit more. Right. And, that, and that's what I, that's, that's, that's where I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I don't want to be boring y'all too. No, no, no. You're good, man. You know, because <laughs> it's really good to know about how, how other systems work, man. Not a lot of people, unfortunately, had... You know the privilege, people, I, I the privilege of traveling to another and living and living and living in another country like that. But as far as philosophy, real quick, um, you know, is there anything that you feel that you gained from philosophy out there? Um, did it change the way you thought? You know, you know, philosophy had a huge influence on me um, when I started taking philosophy courses. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes came from my first philosophy course that I took. Um, I think it came from Socrates. Uh, one who knows something knows that he knows nothing at all, you know. And I'm sure, and, and I'm sure he knew something, but came to terms that his knowledge was nothing compared to the vastness that he could I, I think I, learn. I, I, I went elsewhere when I was trying to explain this. My first year 
as a coming from the American system and, and, and looking at a different type of pedagogy, right. they emphasize of people speaking, not a lecture, straight mm-hmm. on lecture. They mm-hmm. want to make sure. So I used to just talk and I used to just raise my hand and say absolutely anything that came across my mind without thinking. Right. The older I've gotten, I'm like, hey, let me think first and say. Right. And it just teaches you that anything that's going to come out your mouth, you want to make sure it's gold. Right. I feel like everybody's an expert now, especially with the social media. Of course. Social media, I see people talking. Like, I see comments. I like to look at comments. Like, yesterday, I just, no, this morning, I saw that there was a young lady that literally just took Ashanti's song, Foolish, and said, that's her song. I don't know if you heard about that. No. Yo, they're having a whole argument. And they said, oh, that's her song. All these young cats. Oh, that's her song. That's her song. You know, we come from a different era, so I'm like, nah, that's a Shanti song. Literally the whole song. But since she has a different voice, I said, no, that's her song. Yeah, bro, honestly, I don't know. Like, right now, I've never, I've never, I've never experienced. But they debate, they debate like they know I know, man. And it's like, this has never been seen before, you know, and I'm sure social media is doing a number on this, but, you know, there's so many, um, narratives out there so many false narratives that runs contrary to like logic people just write whatever it comes up in their mind yeah so talking about music though um what were your influence growing up man i know you was into hip-hop you know you talk about cameron what were your influences your hip-hop influences coming up damn i mean I, i'm not gonna well my top five Oh shit! You got a top five. Look at you, man. You ready no, to go? No, no, no. Like I think about it. Tupac was number one. Okay. And I, feel, I feel like people don't his music, what he stand, what he stood for, how he spoke up for women rights, um, and what's I mean, going I mean, on. I mean, he did. He did go to jail for rape, though. I feel you, though. Now let's be real. You know, he would have been canceled today's age. He would have been, can- but I, I, you know what? I don't want to get into that because I feel like it was like they. They fucked them over. Oh, okay. Right. You know, but, you know, I, I guess I'm about to get canceled. Or maybe you're just a real Tupac fan. My thing is this. I think Tupac was talented. He was set up. No, but he was set up by Haitian Jack. And Haitian, to get you know, shot. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Jack. And you know what's funny? He's, he lives in Santiago in the DR. I know. Right I, know. I, don't want, I don't want to talk too yeah, much about yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Because I don't want to get, you yeah, know, run up on it. But he, he, how you, the same people that set him up. You know what? I don't want to go. I, I wasn't prepared to talk about. All right, so, his, but but his, Pac, his as far as his catalog, yes, I do think that he had a lot of misses. Okay. When it comes to his catalog, when you're talking about the number of songs that he that he, cre- you know, that he uh, published, and then you take that that catalog and then you compare it to the hits that he had, you know. Ratio-wise, percentage-wise, I, re- I wouldn't really fully give it up to Tupac. Tupac was in the lab all day, every day. Who just... Like, some shit was great, and other shit was, like, dud. But you gotta think about how he was re- brought up. Expressive. He, he was an artist. He was an artist. Right. His mom was a Black Panther. Mm-hmm. He had a lot know, to say. You know... A lot yeah. of experiences in that young life as well. Exactly. He died at 25 and did all of that. So, I say Tupac was always gonna be in my top. Um... Just being from uptown, I'm not gonna put him number two, but I'm, this is not in no order. Mace, 
It's one of my hey, murder mace. Murder mace. Mur- I'm talking about before, you know, everything and shiny suits. Murder mace was something else. Like Big O, COC. Um, you know, I know when I started rapping, I really emulated Mace and Cameron. Hey. And, um... Listen, Mace got that verse. What is it? Now, what the hell... What the hell is you looking for? Can a young man get money anymore? Let my pants sag down to the floor. Really doesn't matter as long as I score. Can my car look better than yours? Can I have a bad chick without no flaws? Come to see me without no drawers. In the stretch like sweat about 10 doors. Hey, what? Killing it. Yo, he killed that. No, joke. no, but he was not. But he was on the that, vibe. But before that. Before he became pretty, like pretty pretty mm-hmm. bad boy, he was, <laughs> he was murder mace. Murder mace. So I, I think I have him like in my fourth or five. Like I can't. No, I got him at fourth. Cam at five. Okay. Big at two. People like really, really don't mess with my. And he's Dominican. People don't know he's Dominican. Oh shit! Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hold on. Um, um, Az. Az. Anthony Cruz. Az. Half, half Dominican, right? Well, whatever. I, I think he's full Dominican. Or half. Yeah, he could probably be half. But Fab, Fab is half Dominican. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I fucks with Fab. Um, I mean, I didn't care too much about Fab in the beginning. No, always. But, but you know what? Fab has definitely grown on me. Um, his Jadakiss albums are... It, nah, it's just old Fab. Especially that summer, summer, summer shoot, summertime Ooh. shootout. Dude, he has bars, bro. Bars. Um, I, I mess with that. But... Big, if you get into like big and like, I, you know what it is? I like expressive. Mm. Like I even like when I watch movies, I like very expressive movies. I like mm. so yeah. Park. I would take Nas there, but I, I have him like five. I'll have him like I'm at six or seven. Mm. And I got, I learned to appreciate Jigga as an adult. Jay Z, Jigga, Hope. Yeah. The man with many names. Exactly. You know, for my gentrified folks, Jigga is Jay-Z, Sean Carter. I will put him as my own. Number one would be Tupac. Number two would be Big L. Number three would be Big. Four would be Jay. And my number five would be Murder Mace, Camera. And most influential will Killer be Killer Cam. Cam. But Killer Cam will be my most influential. He said most influential. Yo, hey, yo, I love it when cats think they're bigger than a sumo. That's when <laughs> I hit him with a little soda Puerto Rican <laughs> judo, whatever. Judo yeah. and all. <laughs> Man, you hit it. You, you, 1996, that's that. But but my most influential will be it. Will be from Cam to Nipsey. Gotcha. Nipsey, Nipsey, in my, pol- you know, I, I, I'm big in the political game. Yeah. My Nipsey, style, Nipsey, his vibe, yeah. I, I see you wearing that Crenshaw sweater. You already know. Okay. You know I wore that. I thought it was going to be cameras in here, so I wore that. You know, uh, I we'll take a to, photo. We'll take a photo. I was trying to get I'm going to have a camera here next time. I just wanted. Yeah. I get you back. I get you back, man. Yeah, you got the, you know, we'll take, a, we'll take a photo of that fresh haircut in there. That's why. I thought that, you know, I was trying to get my my, my Instagram. Like, ha! Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. And number eight, because he's a mentor of mine. I was in his part of his label. I used to rap. Pudgy the Fat Bastard. People don't know who he was. Pudgy the Fat Bastard. He he started out in 1992. That's a bit redundant, right? Yeah. 93, 94. He still writes for a lot of people. Um, he's like my big brother. And um, he had a lot of hits. He had a lot of He had a hit called Think Big with mm-hmm. Biggie and Lord Tariq. 
and and he and he's yeah and he and big and pudgy's from uptown as well and he definitely was the best in that that track Mm. and he has a song with dmx he out rapped biggie in that track look anybody y'all could come at me Listen to that song and tell me what you think. All right, yeah, think, send like, it to me. Send it to me. I'll send it we'll to you. To it. And you and you're gonna and you're gonna understand like how he killed the he had the hook and he mm. had the second verse and killed. Okay. Him. All right, all right. Um, I don't I don't think I have a list. I was because, asked, like, what, what's your list? Yeah, I don't think I have a list, man. I mean, but I can tell you the dudes that I listened to. Okay. Growing up, right? Um, I remember my first album was uh, the Jungle Brothers. That's probably a little too old for you. Girl, I house you. You in my hood now. Nah, too old? Fuck it. Nah, I, I, I like, it no, I like, no, no. I like, Pudgy's 92. Okay. And I like, like DTI's, you know, I like the digging in the crates. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, so, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know the Jungle Brothers. I know, like, the Jungle Lord Brothers Fitness. were more like in the eight, late 80s, I think. Okay. That, you know, I remember. You're aging yourself, man. No, nah, dude, I was young when I got into hip hop. I was like, Me too. I was like in first, second grade. Look, funny, fun fact. When I came here, all my cousins were a little older. I learned how to speak English. Mm. Listen to rap. Or, I, I know I can see that. I mean, I'm sure I did. You know, I grew up in a in a Spanish household. You know, so I'm sure a lot of my English came from from rap. Um, I remember listening a lot to Black Moon. Okay. How is it? No, don't front. You know, I got your open check the dialect from the diaphragm, my man. What borough are they from? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I had a feeling. Brooklyn. How Many MCs Must Get This was another very popular track that they had. I mean, that was probably... No, the first track that I remember from Black Moon, the artist himself, because I think he he became Black Moon when he started messing around with uh, DJ Evil D. But before that, he was known as Buckshot Shorty. And the first track that I've ever okay, heard... now, now I know The first Shorty. track that I've ever heard of him okay. was like, Who Got the Props? Who Got the Props? Okay. On it, in Buckshot, yeah, man. Now, I know, I know Buckshot Shorty, and and I think Pudgy had a song with him and Large Professor, so Pudgy's from that era, a little bit higher. Okay, okay. But Pudgy was <coughs> was canceled. Oh shit! What happened canceled. to Pudgy? Man, I don't want to talk about my, about my brother like that, but yeah, he, you know, damn. He was canceled. He was canceled. Um, I mean, something that's acceptable nowadays. He's, you know, he he big big up. The LGBT community. Oh, okay. At that time. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, um, you know. Okay. So, one left for him during that time. Yeah, like he was just like. He know, was beyond his years. Pudgy. He was ahead of his time. Ahead of his time. He was an. He was a. He wrote for many artists. He wrote for Left Eye. He did a lot. Mm. You know, he's a living legend. If you're from Allenton and Burke, you got a living legend walking among, among y'all, and y'all don't even know. Nice, nice. So, I'm gonna listen to him, man, because you've been that's my big you've been bigging him up. Um, Nas, of course, you know, Illmatic shook my world. You know, um, it took me a while to get into Jay. You know, when I say Jay, Jay Z, right? Sean uh-huh. Carter um, took me a while to get into Reasonable Doubt. You gotta understand, Jay Z yep. was 26 years old when he came out with Reasonable Doubt. That album was, you know, wrapped by a man. You know what I'm saying? There was yep. so much prophecy and you know shit that I didn't experience exactly that he was talking I, on I that track relate. I couldn't relate I eventually related afterwards exactly you know but um but yeah he was yeah he was 26 because he's 50 now and that album came out like in 
1996, yeah. 95, 96. Mm-hmm. Yo, Jay had some one-liners that made me rethink my life. I remember there was one that was, uh, you know, I remember I was a broke-ass college student, and, and the line was, being broke is immature, and I'm quite grown. Ooh, I remember <laughs> that. Oh, Good yeah, Lord. Wait, wait, wait. I, like, I, I need to I get my money up. No, but also... He shows you uh, per- perseverance, mm-hmm, independence, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Oh, let me ask you, you know what? Because you, uh, we talked before about you teaching black political thought, right? Yeah. Okay. So, in black political thought, just give me two or three black political leaders. I have Dubois. Okay. W-B- W.E.B. Dubois. Why? He's, um, he's actually my... Biggest influence. Okay. Interesting. Um, Why is that? On a a personal note, my father died young, and my father was very important to me to this day. I was like obsessed with him. Same here, by the way. I was seven, six. Yeah, Yeah, I was young, and he was um, very influential to me. So, my father, he was a doctor, so he always had like a white coat. He was always so well dressed, but my father was like balding at, at that time. And I saw this book. And the author, and um, in that book, it's the first book I ever read, Souls of Black Folks. That mm. to me, he, my father, like my Good father, book, grow, brother. the first book I ever read, the boy looked, my, my father would have grew old, that's how mm-hmm. my father would have looked like. Interesting. So I just gravitated to that book. Mm. I just mm. started reading. Mm. I was still in the bilingual class, still trying to learn English. And I just like read that. Mm. And that kind of like. Okay. Put so, me there. So Dubois is, is, but his whole philosophy of of people of African descent right. were much more capable than just trade. Very Pan African. Very Pan African. Like right. I, I do, I see myself retiring one day. Let me ask you this. In the motherland. Let me ask you this. Oh, <laughs> shit, in the motherland being Africa. Yes. We're in Africa. I don't know. I, when I do the DNA. Oh, that's I good. I want to see if, if it's my, probably going to be uh, either Ghana or Nigeria. If it's Ghana, if I have, if I have, if, if it's between Ghana and Nigeria, and if I have a higher percentage in Ghana, right? I'm I'm copying my 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 crib by next year just to let uh-huh. them know I'm like I'm here, y'all. Okay, all right, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I think. Okay, so if you were, okay, so you have W. B. Dubois. Give me like one more, one or two more. Uh, but I want to mix it up. I like to keep my class interesting. I'm gonna have Pac, but I'm also gonna have um, um, I got Angela Davis. Angela Davis, okay. So Angela Davis to me, just fire professor, yeah. right? Very intellectual, fearless, fearless, and yeah. um, took on the whole government, took, took him to trial, but she defended also, herself exactly. And she wants, she was teaching folks in the Black Panther Party how we could be sufficient. Right. And how we can contribute to society, and I and I, I want to put that in the book, but also teach about gender, you know, gender politics, or how mm. that works. I'm always, if you look at my my record in politics, I always supported women politicians. So, with that being said, Angela Davis is like okay. That's the reason, like she's just. I think, yeah, women, she's, I think women women lead better than men, but that's you know we could have that debate. Right, some other day. time. But that's uh, Angela Davis is definitely one of my spiritual advisors. Yes. That, that that I've appointed. But so okay, so you have Angela Davis. For me, when when shaping black political thought as far as in this country, right? I'm thinking about the Martin Luther King Juniors, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, 
um, Carter G. Woodson, who, mm, who wrote one. The Miseducation of the Negro. Yep. Fucked me up. That book fucked me up. Yep. Right? Um, in a good way. Um, Booker T. Washington. Um, so let me ask you this. That, that, that was the, the arch nemesis of So the let me war. ask you this. Let me ask you this. <laughs> if we were talking about black political thought, and I'm just thinking about this. I just thought about this right now. Who would Nas be closest to in political thought? Oh, so if I'm putting the rap game, so I'll put the Bois, Jay, and I, Booker T. I just Washington. want to let you know, I disagree, but go. I disagree, bro. Okay. We're gonna, we're, you're going to tell me why. Jay will be more like the Bois. Mm. And Jay and, and Nas Booker T. Washington. Okay, and why? So they both have different philosophies in terms mm. of in terms of how people of color should navigate like a professional world mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. they should see themselves. Right. You know, Nas I think Booker T. Washington always emphasized trade, you know, having a seat at the table in terms of working for someone. Jay always emphasized entrepreneurship the top um you know like the boy was like hey why go to harvard and get a map get it let's be the first one to get a phd and show mm-hmm. these dudes that we we're about this like change the game create things from scratch right and that's why i, I with rockefeller and his naacp boom that goes in okay but I want, I want to, I want to hear, you know, because you're smirking over there. Yeah, man. You know, I think, I think Nas, as I, as I take a puff of this uh, very good cigar, man. What kind of cigar is that? This is a Padron. Oh, yeah? Remember? I'm still smoking the same cigar. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois was a Pan-Africanist. Yes. Right? Uh, you know, you mentioned his uh, collection of essays, uh, The Souls of Black Folk, right? Yes. Also, he had uh, this essay titled Black Reconstruction in America, which was amazing. You know, he really made a living of pointing out the failures of a system to acknowledge and respect the accomplishments of of African-Americans, right? Yep. You want the lighter? No, the the bottle. Oh, the bottle. (laughs) There you go. I'm trying to be low. Thank you. There you go. He really... You know, he really um, made a career of pointing out the failures of a system to acknowledge and respect the accomplishments of African Americans. So when you think about Nas, you think about, you know, if I rule the world, right? I love that. You know, I feel that in music, Nas was more conscious of, of how he viewed himself and how society viewed him. Which uh, I think played to the double consciousness um, that W.E.B. Du Bois spoke about. And that was part of his controversy? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Jay-Z, I mean, um, no, you know, he just came out with a song, Ultra Black, you know, it's just, he just seems more Pan-African than, for example, a Booker T. Washington, right? Who I connect with Jay-Z. Booker T? Booker T. Washington, brother. Why? Well, Booker T. Washington was a key proponent, right, of of African-American businesses. He was, right? He was one of the founders of the National Negro... of the National Negro Business League. 
So he would raise money, develop strategy, mm -hmm. uh, yes, yes. network, pushed. Um, and, um, you know, he was his long term goal was to uh, end the disenfranchisement of the vast majority of African-Americans within the system, though. So the difference between W.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington is no, I take it back. that he took it, that he did it within the system of capitalism. Jay-Z is the ultimate capitalist. He is. And, but that's why I put him with Du Bois. To be, I put him with Du Bois because mm -hmm. Du Bois also had businesses and he mm -hmm. did a lot of things. But that's I, what, that's I, what I highlighted but, as much. But, but I look at Nas. No, Nas would be more Marcus Garvey. That's mm. another individual. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Marcus Garvey is the, the, you know, just the love of self as a black man. Mm. And um, Nas, you know, it's something that my mom taught me. When I was young, I was in the bilingual class. And when you're in the bilingual class, you're in a class and nobody looks like you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dark. Mm. You know, I'm super dark compared to everybody. Everybody's like from South America. Right. And people making fun of me. And my mom always says, you know you know how proud you should be for being black? You know how everybody wants to get a tan, to get darker? Right. You know, you got white folks that want to get the lips done, like yours. You know, the power that you have. So, like Mar Marcus Garvey gave you that that love for yourself. Mm -hmm. Nas, like songs like I Can. And, right. and, you know, how we treat our daughters and things of that nature. Right. I mean, I love Nas. Yeah. You know, and, and also emphasizing where he comes from, where like Nas is like, right? When people think about that, that that track, yeah, like he took it back with all his success, he came back and talked about right. everything in Queensbridge and bigging up. Everybody. You the man in some part, right? You the man. You know? His album with uh, Damian Marley was classic. I, you know Africa, I wake up, patience. I didn't, I didn't listen to that. Whew, let me tell you something, man. Yeah. That album was produced to perfection. You have to listen to that album, man. It's just it was it was spiritual, it was lyrical, um, it was everything that I wanted that album to be. Because mm. I'm also a fan of, of Damian Marley, but uh, but yeah, you know, going back to Jay, ultra capitalist. Although you see Jay making efforts to um, put pressure on what on white society, yeah. um, through the whole NFL uh, situation, or, or through the lens of creating space within the existing market. Uh, for black folks, such as, you know, through title or, you know, sports agency, um, you know, he's all about creating his own. He kind of has this uh, pull yourself up by your bootstrap yeah. um, and don't mind what other people think or are doing kind of approach to things. So but, you know, look, based on my experiences. Right. And, th and some people may think this is not progressive enough. But based on my experiences and what I know, I think the blend of the two. Um, of the two makes for a healthy stance, if you will. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for but, now, for now, at least, you know, based I, on the information that I know. To, my goal to it when I listen to rap music now will always be Nip right now. Um, you know, it's because um, he, he emphasizes that in terms of the community, right? Like on the deeper level. Yeah, this is something that Nip, I would. Nip was so talented, man. The, you know, and I'm and you know, and honestly, I can't. Sometimes I'm a little too hard on myself for not knowing about Nipsey's music Man. before he died. But, you know, that's also the beast of capitalism in which um, it wasn't brought to the forefront, you know. And, you know, I mean, you know what? I was blessed. 
I was blessed uh, when I lived in Norway. I, I grew up within the um, the Eritrean community. Oh, and they were blasting Nipsey out there? 2009, heavy. What? At first, when they told me about it, I still remember that conversation. Right, because it was Eritrean. Eritrean. Yeah, Eritrean. No, no, Eritrean. But they, they say it in a certain way, but Eritrean. And um, in you know Sweden and Norway, there's a lot, it's a big community. And one of my closest yeah, no, friends. I got some good friends. Shout out to my to my homies in Norway. Yeah, yeah, no, and and my and one of my closest brothers, Black, I call him. His name is Sam, Black Sam from Allenton. He's Eritrean. They have a little, they have a little community there, and um, I I started listening to Nip, just to see what was the hype about in their community. I'm always been a person that I'm open to hear, what's the hype about somebody, right? And I like to be one of the first to hear it. And I know in America nobody was really on it when I was in New York. Mm. They had a concert. I remember, like in two thousand and ten, it was two thousand and eleven, in 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 Queens, it wasn't even that packed, and I was like, wow. Now, when I was working in the mayor's office, I made sure that I was I teamed up with the Eritrean community to give him a like a, a good going away. I mm-hmm. almost got my I almost got fired that day because I had to tell the cops like we need to have this here in Harlem. When you listen to his words. I feel like people forget about the guy from the hood. Right. Of course, man. He was so... No, not, but I, even in, in politics, I look at people, even in, in life, they look at the guy from the hood trying to sell a CD or anybody that's just trying to make it. Like, they're like the forgotten people, man. And I just want to make sure, like, I, those are the folks that that really move New York. They're like, they like real New York. Right. You know? Like when you look at social social welfare, they're missed because they're entrepreneurs and they can't, you know, log it in somewhere. Right. Or some people have to hustle because they don't have any other means. Right. But they're not bad people. They're just hustling. Yeah. Now I'm not talking about just you know narcotics. I'm talking about other things, and they're always getting picked on. But I just feel like he he really emphasized emphasized entrepreneurship. We can get this. Right. Our people. Persistence. Persistence. Like, Ownership, uh, yeah. You know, us, uh, beyond our people, we're the one, we're consumed the most, we should be able to support our own. Right. And he was and, trying to do that. And, he, and he, he was trying and he, to build, he was doing that. you know, he did, he did with the, uh, with the whole marriage, with the whole strip that he, yeah. that he did. But um, it was such a, such it's a tragedy. And I, and I think most, most Eritreans are, they have the hustling spirit in them. Of course. And that's the reason why, um, I think that when you look at like black liberation and black, he's trying to liberal liberalize us from this consumer market. Right. Like, why go to the you know the other man when we can get it from our own? Exactly. And I and I and I love that. Right. I mean, I mean, I even got into I even got into, um, I left Spotify and I left I um, and I left um iTunes to to get with title title yeah just just because I'm like you know what let let me support this. Okay. You know, and um, yeah, and, and I support title for that same reason. You know, now if I have a lawyer, like you know, I know I got you. God forbid you ever need a lawyer, but yeah, man, I'm here. You know, I mean, no, it's I good you. to have lawyers. Yeah, you, you know, G- listen, listen, and honestly, when it comes to lawyers that are from the community, you you tend to see uh, a specific, you know, type of care uh, being given to clients that are from that same community because you can relate. You're not judging your clients. Yeah. 
uh, you know, like you know how difficult it is. There's no otherness. There's no sense of otherness. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to yeah, but just to wrap it up on on the artist that I liked or had an influence on me growing up, Biggie. You know, yeah. I'm gonna say, but I like Biggie for the party songs. To be quite honest, you know, nah, like the flashiness. No, nah, I like I like the hood Biggie. Nah. Give me the loop. Give me the loop. Nah, man, I was more look. My crew used to sneak into Flamingos nightclub. And I say sneak in because I was only, yeah. I was always the youngest, so I always needed a fake ID to because get into I don't these even spots. Know what is. Yes. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> I, I was young then, but I guess I'm old now. Um, but my boy Julio, shout out to Julio from 109. This this dude was older. He used to rent a driver, and that driver had a suburban mm. vehicle, and he would take us to these spots. and And I remember that era. I remember that era like it was yesterday, man. We would wear, we would wear silk baggy shirts with the collar you know collar yep. silk shirts with the chain showing we had um diamond earrings fedoras on yeah we were we really thought we were balling at tea night you know that's the that's the funny thing you, 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 you know, know what the thing is when you're growing up poor you don't realize you're poor no, because you're rich with everybody around you listen i thought i was rich man i was out there like to all the ladies in the place with styling and grace i mean you gotta live it up allow me to lace these lyrical and yeah, yeah, but um, Biggie did that. Biggie was a vibe. And, you know, like I said, I'm from Harlem, you know, so Mace was definitely a vibe as well. Killer Cam also. Big L, you can't forget Big L. Big L, Big L was a little before my time, but yeah. But Big L was, is... What, what was it, Ibonix? He had that good song, No, Ibonix. but he had a lot... Yeah, I'm sure he had a lot more songs. He's, he's the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar... Of um, of hip hop, of Harlem, of Harlem. Okay, okay. He could have been the best. Okay, all right. Okay, so you know you had a brief stint with the industry, right? You you yeah. uh, not only <laughs> try to be a consumer like myself, but uh, you were also attempting to create, or or did you create something? I was more on the business side, but okay. I had um. You look, I'm uh, like I said, I'm soft. Like I I I would like I like the R and B. Mm. A lot more than anything, so I, I will write R and B songs when I was part of this label. Really? And uh, um, what songs you were talking about, bro? You know, I was a young man in the city. You know, and, hey. um, but you know, just like a lot of breakup songs and stuff like that. I was like fifteen, <laughs> and um, you know, Pudgy and Jazzy Joyce that had the label and they made me VP, so I was able to be in the studio. Right. And I was able. I created a. I didn't create the group. We formed a group, um, me and my friends, called Strictly Business. Mm. You know, in the Bronx, we're trying to get our names out there. Um, I went by different names. One of the names, controversial name, but then I changed it to Remy, Remy Santana. Remy, Remy Pa? Nah, Remy Santana. Oh. Remy Santana, my last name is Santana. Pa. Okay. And I, I love Joel, so I, I went with Remy Santana. I used to go by Young Poe. But, you know... As in Alpo? <laughs> so, all my OGs was like... It's okay, yeah. man. Listen, all, we're all, all works in progress. All my OGs was like, stop it. Mm -hmm. And um, then I went from by Remy Santana. And, um, you know, we had a little stint. And um, I'm just glad that it wasn't a social media era where the things that I was talking about wasn't that great. But and you would have been canceled today. Uh, not canceled, but... You know, I was talking like every other rapper in the 90s, like you right, we were right. some big pusher. 
okay. when I was probably pushing pencils. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Like, my mom, my mom would definitely would have, like, you know, Dominican mom would have definitely... Would have disowned you, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, you know, so now, fast forward, you're this adult, and you're not talking about that. What you are talking about, though, is you're talking about helping communities, right? Absolutely, man. You know, we briefly spoke about income inequality in this country, um, and you can see it in our in our neighborhoods, in our impoverished neighborhoods. Um, what strategies are you trying to implement as a cons- as a political consultant? I know you've been campaign managing, yeah. um, you know, as well. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, when I came back, so I came back with a goal when I came back to New York from um, Norway. From Norway, okay. That I I want to make sure that my people can eat. I'm going to keep it straight up. I want to make sure they eat. And um, especially with this COVID, I want to be able to bring resources. The things that I spoke about in terms of people forget about, those people in the hoods that may have been in graduate high school or they got, you know, they had a child in high school. Like they had some circumstances that allowed them to get the education. For the last six years on the side, I usually don't put it out there, but I, I teach GED classes. I was able to get over 46 students their GED, 20 into higher education. I got like three that just graduated from college. And, you know, just those folks that people forgot about that they don't they don't give a chance to, mm-hmm. you know, they, they deserve an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to be able to provide those resources to also those people that you know, the immigrant, recent immigrant, do they come here with a hunger? Uh, how can you open up a business? You know, how can how can you get into college? You know, I, I always have, like, my Instagram open for them. You know, if they want to talk, I connect them with resources, with SBS, um, which is the small business services with the, with the city of New York. I used to work at City Hall, and that's, I emphasize on the ground level. Mm. Um, you know, I... Be you know in the political world is very different, and I'm learning the game. I worked for a number of elected officials, but um, my pride and my joy of always working with is always Carmen de la Rosa. Mm-hmm. You know she's running for a city council right now. She's, you know, probably the first person that made me think about uh, really enjoying politics because she's really down with the people. You know yeah. she's from. You know, one of the avenues that are probably the toughest indictment. Right. And for her to, like, get up every morning and, like, really be out there, um, it's always been a, a pleasure to grow with her. Right. So, politically, I want the same for the Bronx. And in the Bronx, you know, people need help. And not, a lot of people can't relate to these politicians. You know, these politicians in... Um, a lot of many politicians they have they they've been there for a long time and it's great but you know there should be other elected officials that can speak their language right. you know like I think about my old hood in 183rd um, where my grandfather lived like university it's like a like it's like an avenue there like it's like it's very tough and nobody really goes in there like how can we every the human capital that we have in the Bronx and in uptown is just look at the history of our human capital. We invented hip hop. We salsa music is a combination when people came to New York and in the Bronx and and in the east in the 
in the Lower East Side, and it, it became a thing. So the human capital, when people look at us like low income or whatever they want to call us nowadays, right. we are the culture of New York. We got to be able to give people the resources that they need, provide housing, affordable right. housing, right. home ownership. You know, sometimes you just don't know how to navigate through the system. Um, provide more funding in terms of getting vouchers. So, so all right, so going back to housing, and by the way, yeah. uh, I've met Carmen De La Rosa um, from what I know of her, she's great. Um, she seems really committed. Yes. You know, I see her out there protesting. I see her out there uh, meeting with, uh, with you know, community members. Uh, I saw that uh, you went with her to Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. Yeah, you went to Washington, D.C. Uh, to demand for racial equity and, and it was the, changes uh, to the criminal the, justice system. In the march. It was the big march. It was like the anniversary of, of when Martin Luther King Jr. marched? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, but but you know going She's back, a real one. you know we need more people like her uh, taking up leadership positions um, in this state in this city. Um, but as far as improving housing for people or in- increasing ownership, home ownership, because I think that's big. Because when people own, yep. the way they value their neighborhoods or the way they see their neighborhoods is a lot different from someone that just rents. You know, Absolutely. how can we increase that? And also, you know, that's a way to transfer generational wealth. Absolutely. You know, like, how can we do that? How can we help in that process? Like, what are... Well, so, I, when I, I worked at uh, HPD for three years, mm. and I know... And, and HPD is housing... Housing Preservation and Development right. for the city. And I worked in a strategic planning team. Okay. And I remember, you know... Sometimes you have people that work in the city that don't understand the hood. And I keep emphasizing that because you don't know how they're going to navigate through the system and how, what are they thinking. And when you're in poverty, that dollar goes, you know, you're thinking about how you're going to stretch this dollar amongst your whole family. But when we're thinking about housing, housing is the fundamental, fundamentally, that's the most important thing. Once you have that down packed and you own it or... You could build a community land trust, and a community land trust is so vital. That's worked in different parts of the city. They had one in the Bronx and in East Harlem where a nonprofit would run it, or you could have a different program like the TIL program that, that as well that you can have community members. You know, you have set of like a council, and you right. run it, and you guys own it as a right. co-op. Right. And that's people from the community doing that. Yeah. You don't have a property manager that later on gets greedy and pay, you know wants to sell it off. You have these folks that want to do more. Also, we could emphasize more money in Section Eight programs. Section Eight programs, which I know is out there, but they paused it for a long time. It's not available to everybody. It's like it's really now is rare because mm-hmm. a lot of people need it. And if you look at the incomes of people in New York, especially Native New Yorkers, Native New Yorkers are like we're like dinosaurs now in our own city. Um, you look at Native New Yorkers, you know, you barely can have, you, the income inequality there is, is hard. You know, making, I remember when I was in high school, I used to say, man, if I make $50,000 a year, I made it. That's all I needed, you know? And um, 50000 is nothing now. It's nothing now. And I remember my mom used to complain that she was paying $700 for two bedroom at one time. When we was young, this is 183rd, lived young in the hood. 
now, man, like, it just to put a little personal thing in, I was able to save up, I bought my own crib in the Bronx, just to see the importance of ownership. My mortgage is $600. Mm. Like, we have to figure out how we can help people save the money or give out loans with lower percentage. Can they put 1% or 3% down? Government-backed um, to help folks in the community. If we're going to build anything in, in different communities, make sure is at least 90% affordable. Right. You get what I'm saying? Like, or Because you also don't want people losing their homes. You know, nah. like... You no, mean, but there's land. There's lands out there. There, there's places you can get it done. But while we're spending so much money providing in like DHS, which is Department of Homeless Services, and put them in the hotels, you can put that in in a voucher and put them in a home, or or as a a grant to put as a down payment for home ownership mm-hmm. or. A uh, down payment for a community land trust among people where you put you put it all together and then they, they own it. Like in the first year they're gonna struggle, but after they're like, Yo, we own this, we wanna keep this, right? They're gonna take care of it. Yeah, they take pride in it. And then you have your grandkids be like, Yo, I'm from here. Right. And we built this. Speaking speaking of housing, right? Um yes, sir. I've seen you I've seen you also uh support or, you know, on social media you supported like the cancel rent movement. Yes, sir. Do you think that's going to gain some steam? I mean, it's gaining steam. It's mm-hmm. gaining steam. But, you know, the government game is, um, you know, it's very different. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's it's going to take a lot. It's going to take the governor to really push that forward in the right. state level. Right. But I think that, um, you know. Uh, I'm assuming, I'm assuming. You just don't cancel rent. I'm assuming the tenant has to show a hardship, right? Which, which is, which, which would probably be easy for some tenants because of loss of employment that's going on. But also, some you, you could show that, but it should be a mandate because some people, immigrants, it's going to be hard for them to show it because they always worked off the books, or to mm-hmm. prove like now you got to prove like I'm I'm struggling in COVID. I got to prove it. No, like. You could tell that I haven't been able to pay my rent. It's hard. Like, so would we rather spend more money on homeless shelters, or are we gonna put in permanent housing, or 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 you know uh, housing for specialized housing for people that need extra care? Right. You know what I'm saying. So it's um it's something that that should be looked at, and how we the budget is always a way to emphasize how we're gonna move. Mm. So, so you know, obviously, one view is that you have to um, take care of the folks that can't pay the rent, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, you're saying that it should be mandated. The other view is that it may disincentivize folks from going back to work. Um, uh, what do you it, say to that? Um, there, it should be a, a timeline for it. Mm. You know, like right. okay, three months from you know, like how they did it at one time. But I also, as a homeowner, you know, I understand. I understand that, okay, we have to pay this. Now we got to pick this up. So, you know, the government should be able to figure out a way they could provide funding for them. For them or, or for the landlord so that... The landlord, I mean, they should cancel the rent. Right. And have a program where 
homeowners can pay to cover that rent or call or pause property taxes. Figure out some way because if we don't figure out something soon, there are going to be more people in the street. Mm. And when you have more people in the street, it's more crime. We're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna spend more because now people need food, they need housing. It's just a lose. It's a lose lose. Mm. So we just have to figure out how we're gonna be able to uh, create a fund to cancel the rent. I'm, I'm full born like we. This is all in negotiations, but I'm also thinking about homeowners. Homeowners need to the government should be able to back them in terms of rent that's being lost or revenues to or they can just like happened before mortgages should be paused. Right. This is nobody thought COVID was gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. No one thought. Um, you know, I think some homeowners would would probably are, are probably not optimistic about getting that money um, from the tenants if it is paused. Um, and I say that because I have some clients that are tenants and also some clients that are that are landlords. Yeah. Um, and they know that typically when they go to court to try to retrieve money from tenants that owe rent, um, they normally don't get it. And if even they do get a judgment, uh, the tenant may not worry about his credit report or may not have assets to uh, effectuate to you know to effectuate that that judgment. You know, I you know what maybe it's because I come from a different side. Mm. I've been evicted twice as a kid, mm. and the long term trauma that you face seeing that eviction sign. And, I mean, I still look at my mom as a superwoman. I don't know how she did it. Um, three kids and kept her cool. But there's a lot of families like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you really want kids in the street right. going to school? Right. There's a, there's a big, big ramification if we... We have enough money. We I believe enough, that. No, no, no listen, I believe we have, that. We have enough money to support both sides. Yeah. If we cancel the rent, that's helping not spend money in the homeless shelter and all the resources and employment and administrative costs that you have to pay for that. Right? Boom. Then you look at the home ownership part. I have a, I have a home I have a mortgage. All banks should be paused for 3 or 4 months while the situation Boom, we got that. So now homeowners are not being penalized for what's happening there right. and renters. You could take a pause. Right. You have 30 years to pay the thing? Okay, you still got 30 years. All right, you just didn't pay that. You're not being penalized. We just know this is a national emergency. Right. And I would only imagine that there's so much tenant harassment. And, and then we have to figure out how we're going to be able to communicate that with, with, you know, people that don't speak the language. Because, you know... People, capitalism, you know, people are slick and they're going to try to figure out, yo, I want my money. So we have to figure out, we have to figure out who comes first, money or the people. Right. And I'm always going to bet on people. Regardless of how much money I can make in my life or, or, or a friend of mine can make in life, seeing somebody in the street. If you can't, if you if you look at somebody in the street begging for money, asking for a meal, and you don't feel no type of way, you should really look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Especially kids. So. 
Yeah. Uh, because some of those kids are growing up and they're going to be adults one day and they're going to remember. I, I, I remember as a kid when my mom got evicted twice. reason why we left Harlem. We got pushed out. And um, I remember saying, can somebody help me? Right. And now, as an adult, I want to be able to help. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, man, you're doing God's work, bro. You you're know, doing I, God's I, work. I feel like I could have still stood in Norway right now, sipping, eating eating salmon right. at some riverfront and hanging out with my Norwegian sweater. But I'd rather come back to my home. Is there a Norwegian sweater? Oh, yeah, yeah. While you're eating salmon, there's a, there's a Norwegian sweater that you wear? Yeah, yeah, I got, I got that. I'm, 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 How that looks like? I'll be, I be wearing that in the hood sometimes. <laughs> People look at me like, what's that? I was like, bro, you don't know. What's the aesthetic? Like, how does that look like? I want you to Google it. Google it. Norwegian yeah, sweater. You have, you have, you have metal buttons and it's just, it's... That's hilarious. It looks like I'm going to start yodeling. <laughs> All right, man. You know, probably copy tomorrow. Is it on Amazon? You know, it's kind of fly to me, though. Okay. There's a lot going on in the Bronx, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but you're doing some work. The Bronx is the well, best place. I've seen the you best supporting... Place in, the best place in New York City. Why do you say that? Most green space, right? I'm going I'm to look at the boroughs like NBA players. The Bronx is Tracy McGrady in 1997. The Toronto Raptors didn't know how good Tracy was. As soon as they let him play, when Vince Carter came in, they're like, wow, we got a talent here. The Bronx is Tom Brady on the bench. They didn't get it to didn't get to play because of Blesso. Tom Brady. Oh, Blesso, yeah. You know, I'm I'm looking at a, a sports analogy. New York doesn't know how great the Bronx is, and y'all gonna see. And I think the new age of politics hopefully will change that. I saw you out there, man, handing out boxes. Yeah. Boxes of what? You were with um Pierina Sanchez? The big homie. She's, yeah, she's Afro-Dominicana, right? Her, she's her. running for city council? Yes. She's running for city council on, on District 16. Um, I'm sorry. District 14. And um, she's she's great. She's mm. super smart. Yeah, I had a Zoom meet and greet uh, with her a few weeks ago. I liked her stances. Uh, she was progressive on the issues that I cared about. Uh, such as criminal justice and um, economic mobility of communities of color, specifically the communities that she's dealing with. So, um, but yeah, so you know, I hope I hope she gains, she garners much support. You know, for those that live in the Bronx. She she's uh, super super smart. Yeah, you've known her from from school, right? From school, but also I I grew to know her more in a professional setting. Um, she had she has a background in um, urban policy, mm. and um, she knows if you need about know about housing, she's like a guru in that. Mm. But also, she really cares. She's from there. She's literally every Dominican parent's dream of their child. Mm. She went to you know she went to a great school, two Ivy League schools. She went to what? She went to Harvard. She went to Harvard. She went to Princeton. She's right. amazingly smart, but she also could connect with people. And um, sometimes, sometimes we miss great candidates, but we can't miss this one. Mm. All right. Well, you know, you know, um, I, you know, like from what I know, I think she's capable of, of so much. I know she's young, so she has a lot. Dominicana. So she has a long way to go. Um, but but she's out there in these streets, 
in these streets, man. Uh, also, speaking of economic mobility, uh, you've helped raise funds for nonprofits, right? By working with teams on strategic planning. How did that go? Like, so, I yeah, my I'm still technically there, but it's my last week. But uh, um, okay, step it away. Um, so I was a consultant, um, VP in, in a certain company where, well, we managed 41 different nonprofits. We try to leverage ways to, you know, where the city council could provide, you know, funding, especially mm. during this COVID period, um, providing food, mm. providing, you know, money for youth services, you know, summer youth employment, things of that nature. Um, nonprofits really make the... Uh, the city move you know I started my first work experience in a nonprofit. right you know so it's um, I see how these young people really mobilize from there and grow so being a consultant there being able to speak to all the elected officials you know emphasizing the importance of it right. to put their money in certain buckets so then and the, the main thing this year was uh, food security and um, youth services Mm. I mean, people forget about the kids, man. I mean, these kids, they got to eat. They got to be able to get experience to really emphasize, you know, to grow as professionals. Right, of course. Of course. Listen, if you're hungry, there's no way you can focus in class, right? Also, if you don't have nothing to do, you're in the neighborhood, what you want to do? Right. You know? So, as you go around and you're trying to help these communities, what is the response you're getting from members of the communities? Uh, Do you feel cynicism in the community or do you feel optimism? Optimism. And you know what it is? I, so when I worked at City Hall, and it's something I will never forget because I represented Harlem, Washington, Hamilton, you know, Manhattan. Regardless what the electors were saying, they knew that I that I I can I can talk to them and they can talk to me and we can get things done. So when I say optimism, we I speak to them. Um, what we need to do, I will hear them out say hey we need you know they the senior center said we need more you know services we need more programming we need more money right you know we were able to speak to the elected officials the thing about uptown is that i'm very excited for uptown uptown has a number of candidates that are pretty strong so the future of uptown is very is bright right you know i i even look at like in terms of like washington heights when you have when you have Carmen running up there and she she understands the struggle of, of like being at the bottom mm. you know you got candidates in Harlem running you know Hamilton Heights with Sean Bray you got Stacy you got you know Corey uh, Ortega you have a lot of people um, running that understand the struggle and they can relate to the people so man the, the, it's right out there Harlem, especially Harlem, is bright. So they'll they'll know where they put their money to, towards right. in the coming years. Okay, okay. I also saw you out there in the streets, I mean, uh, I'm in the streets protesting, sir. you know, raising that black fist in the air in light recent I'm, incidents. How many streets, sir? Of police brutality. How many streets, sir? You know, we have resources <laughs> being diverted um, outside, you know, of the communities while the police budgets have been increasing since the Clinton years, right? So I look at the New York City budget, like the U.S. budget. The U.S. budget puts so much money towards military. So much money. 
more than 60% goes into the military. That's equally what we do in New York City. I understand. No, look, I'm not saying police are not important. Of course, they are important. Right. They do a great job. But when you hustle, when you're going through certain things, something you got to take it off you. Take it off you. You know, you, you can still work, but you still got to make, you can still have administrative pay. You can still pay your the cops and everybody to work three to four million. That's subtracting only two million. Two billion. Sorry, billion. Taking two billion out, you know how much you can do for schools and things of that nature? You do a lot. Right. That's the difference between schools in 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 the suburbs and schools in the city. Like I remember going to Clayton High School. You know, you had mad cops everywhere. You felt like it it felt like a prison, like they're preparing you for prison. You know, it's um they're coming in your class, they're looking at you, right. you're being chased if you're late for class and you're outside because you got lunch, they're chasing you, they're gonna put you in the paddy wagon, now you're getting you know, they now they question you why are you not in class? You know, it's like you a kid. Like why are you getting you know, why are they treating you this way? So right. I feel like if you have more respect, if you have you know, I, I have friends that are cops and I look and I think that cops do a great job and they do a lot of things, but I've been harassed by officers. And I looked at them like, yo, I'm a good kid. Like, when I turned things around, I remember coming back from Norway. I changed the way I looked. I thought I was going to change the way they look at me. Nah, I'm still a black man. I'm sitting in the park reading a book. They, they come up to me like, you smoking marijuana? I was like, what are you talking about, man? I'm over here reading a book and talking to my brother. But, and they already like ready to, you know, to harass. And it was like four officers. Meanwhile, I'm in, in a public park reading with my brother and talking to him about, you know, you know, stepping it up as a man, you know, um, family stuff. And, you know, and just being harassed like that, it just, it doesn't sit right. Right. You know, or standing in, in the corner and you have a cop, you know, just flick you off. A DT, and yeah. I'm just there looking. I'm like a detective. Flick you off for no reason. You what do you mean like, flick you off? What does flick means? Flick, um, to put a middle finger up. Oh, okay. And you just you just crossing the street with your younger sibling. Like, how you explain that to a younger sibling? Oh yeah, he, he's know, having just, a bad day. He's having a bad day. Who right. cares if you're having a bad right, day? Right. So in terms of like funding options, yeah, they could take they could take a year or two off and right. put put six billion. Into the communities so, because that's going to help the development. Right, and you know, and you know, my position, I've, I'm all about re- reallocating uh, sources from the New York Police Department and doing exactly. And what it's you're not saying. forever. It's not forever. It's not, you know, it's not forever. Or who knows? Maybe it is. Well, you know, we know. would have to see. We would have yeah. to see what happens when we when we um, allocate these resources, right? But you know, many people are work stressed, mourning loss of life due to COVID. Crime is up. Um, you know, this is a pretty hot topic, right? So hopefully um, the city comes through and, um, you know, changes changes the way things have been done historically in the city. Um, bro, by the way, did you hear of what the president of NYPD Union Craziness. blasted Councilman uh, Torres? Uh, yeah, and that's my boy. Um, Called him a first-class whore, bro. Like... Because Torres uh, called for an investigation into a possible police 
slowdown amid, uh, you know, this increased yeah. violence. We have a police union president. <laughs> you, you're saying it, but for you, you, I don't even know what to say. very telling that. of the culture that is encouraged at the NYPD. Exactly. And, and, and the balls to say that to... Publicly. Uh, publicly. Tweeted. Tweeted. Still. Tweeted. No, and for people to read publicly to a congressman-elect. Yeah. You, you know what that shows? No respect. No respect. So yeah. think about, I'm not a congressman-elect. You're not a congressman-elect. How do you think they view us? Oh, forget about it. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, it's so disrespectful. Right. And they, it should be... And that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I, I tried to understand them at one time and try to be like, hey, I could work with them when I worked at City Hall, but I just had enough. Right. Like, you're already you're looking at us as low um second class citizens. So, right. so what are what are the you know, so working for the government, right? What are the pros and cons you you would dis, you would say about working for the working for the government, pros yeah, and cons? The pros and cons. Be well for me, I'm in tune with the hood and I love that. Mm. That anybody that knows me, they can reach out to me and I'll get it done. I go down to NYCHA's. I go when people don't understand and get them the resources. Um, that did it for me. Like That's my biggest pro. Um, pro. And being also being in tables, being the table where things are happening and just thinking about my folks. Right, what you um, can do to help. What them. can I do and how I can... Raise their voices. I mean, I remember I was having a um a Dame Dash moment. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you know that. That, that analogy. started screaming at people. You at know, the... you come to the meeting and he's like, "We're having a meeting," you know, and he's like, "Like, what are we talking about?" Like, I had a Dame Dash moment on one time, um, where I was like, "This is not right." Of what what people are doing, especially in jail system and and, and things of that nature. So, it, it's crazy. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, how can you be a human being and go to sleep at night knowing that you're really coming at folks like this? Especially you know, Congressman, the future Congressman, Richie Torres, he's really out there and he's really fighting for, for folks. And he understands. As a young man, he understands. And especially he represents also the LGBTQ community, which right. he came at. Right. Like, that guy is already anti- Anti um, LGBTQ. He's already you're talking about the police union. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's already so you could tell like if you're if you're from that community, you're walking by. You can already know how he feels about that. Right. A man of color, you already know how he feels about people of color. And just being just because you and he's power tripping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That power trip to talk like that, dude. Every letter he wrote on that tweet. He wrote it. He took time. He right. read it over. <laughs> it's not a mistake. He read it over. And he pressed sun. He should, and he should be looked at. Yeah. And yeah. analyzed like, yo, you, you can't be there. Right, right. He doesn't represent... He, clearly, he's biased towards one group to the other group. Right. Well, you know, the police, uh, you know, uh, this guy, Patrick Lynch. And, and he... That, that he, group, he, you know, who is the police union rep, Right. Yeah, and that he dude is something else. Like, publicly supported Donald Trump um, in light of everything that's going on. So, it's crazy, man. 
I know, you know, it's getting late. We're about to wrap up. Did you see people like yourself going back to neighborhoods growing up when you were when you were a young child? Like young professionals like yourself? Nah. Mm -hmm. People left the hood. That was the main thing. You know, it they have their reasons why. Right. And I respect why. Um, whatever their reasoning is. But So if they weren't coming back, who at that point was inspiring you was it the was, was it the rappers was it the drug dealers nah you know I, I mean I, I've always been inspired with, with music mm. but um but I also had this way of thinking I always had a goal and I knew that even at tough times I always knew that I'm gonna laugh about this okay. one day and I knew that there was another way of you know, out there. So there was people that inspired me. So I, that's the reason I read. I read and I looked at Dubois. I looked at Malcolm. Um, to you know, to to have an influence. Uh, my biggest, one of my biggest influences was Roberto Clemente. You know, things of that nature. Like, how can we give back? But I always looked at my neighborhood as so much human capital. Mm -hmm. Like, meanwhile, you look at some people from the neighborhood as whatever, you know, people used to label us as trash, low lives. But some of these guys are, like, doing things in the neighborhood. They're great electricians. They they could be physicians. They could be great businessmen. So I just I just always felt, and my hood always supported me. Mm. My hood always wanted me to be a lawyer, actually. Interesting. I, I always... You say you, the, the hood, you're talking about like the dudes on the block. Yeah. Okay. The dudes on the block, they always looked at me as, um... You're gonna be. You're gonna be alright. So, so let me ask you this: How much? How much is swag important when relating to these young people? Young people respect swag. They do. They do. If they, if they can't relate to you, if they can't see themselves in you, right. they're not gonna pay attention to you. Right. And that's one of the things I, I emphasize when I'm teaching. I don't change. Notice when I spoke to you today, right. I didn't change. I didn't get on my corporate voice. I, I just spoke yeah, to you. Yeah, you came out here. I Super authentic. No code switching. No code switching. Um, and that's how I am. And in my consulting job, as a professor, and all my jobs that I, I've been in, because I always I also want to relate. And I want them to know, even if there's no young people there, right. I want them to know that there are people like me in my community. Right. Uh, because we're the hardest working people. Mm. We make New York move. And... Um, you know, we just we just need an opportunity. Um, so being able to relate to the young people is the most important part. You can't be a you can't be a teacher or educator without understanding and relating to them. Right. They're just gonna look at you as like, okay, the semester's over, I'm out. Yeah. No, I agree. Listen, I agree. You know, I've gone back to my high school and and the looks on their on these students' faces, these black and brown faces, when they see someone that looks like them that resembles them. Uh, come back and talk to them about the possibilities. Um, you know, it's a beautiful feeling. But as the late, great Nipsey Hussle said, the marathon continues. What is next for Remy Pa? <laughs> Remy Pa, this guy. <laughs> Mr. Vargas, come on, man. Um, um, I mean, right now, I'm in a transitional period. Right. Um, I'm still teaching. I'm big in, man. You're figuring it out. 
I just I just want to do something that feeds my soul. So right now... You're in that process. You're in that journey of finding out what that is. Yeah. I mean, I can easily go... I had the big money company and being a VP, being a VP and doing this and that, but it didn't fit my soul. So I left that and I'm bringing... You were, you were a VP for a non-profit? No, VP for a consulting firm. Okay. And um, and and I just want to... Next week, I'm going to give out food. On, in two weeks, on September 24th, give out food in University Avenue. Mm. Just because. That's um, what you... Yeah. That's where you're at with it. Yeah, I want to be... I'm going to give classes, GED courses every week. Um, just make sure that the people that have a shot, shot, they can get there during the pandemic. Let's get let's get these um, you know, GDs, GD yeah. high school currency um diplomas. Let's get you into college. Right. So when it's over, you're in college. You set an example for your family. You're getting them into college. They, your kids are seeing you in there. So I just want to be able. Right now, I'm just trying to empower my neighborhood. I'm just trying to grow. And, you know, possibly, I don't know what's going to happen next, but, you know, just looking at where God takes me. I'm, I'm in tune with, my, with the universe. I pray every day. And if God takes me there in terms of um, doing more in the community or even, or even running for office, I'm not sure yet. Uh, I want to be able to just do more things that is authentic and is true to my soul. Well, whatever you do, man, I'm sure you'll be an asset to the community, bro. And I, I hope they know, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're gonna know. You know, this is gonna reach the masses. But um, I generally ask my guests to share with us. You know, their their spiritual advisors, dead or alive, whose uh, life inspired you, or who had a specific trait about um, themselves that you look to emulate. Uh, mm. You know, do you have a few in mind? Um. When you wake up in the morning and start your day, and you're getting ready to do work and or you have a big decision to make, who or what do you think about? I mean, to be honest, I have pictures and post-it notes, okay. quotes all, all, all over my my apartment. And I would say, first and foremost, I will say Roberto Clemente. Okay. And to me, it's the absolute value of a man. Right. The way he treated his wife mm. and the way he emphasized humanitarianism. He died. Well, I know, on a plane, on right? a plane crash. Um, so Roberto Clemente, to me, is number one. I can see that. Um, um, the day I, I the day I'm gone, I want to be able to leave a mark. It's even half as him, mm. you know. Um, I think about Malcolm X for his growth and his fearness. Oh. Um, I say Dubois, like I mentioned before, his inter- how intellectually he is, you know, as a professor, uh, and someone that just moved the needle when we didn't even have a needle. Right. Um, Pedro Alviso Campos. Yes, sir. Um, his willingness to die for the cause and as an activist, which he died for the cause, and you know his just his his spirit, um, his enthusiasm to do more. How did he die again? He well, he died. In, they they locked him up. Right. Um, and he died in prison. Okay. You know, and um, you know, you could just take it from there. Okay. They really put right. it out there too much. Just like right. just like Tucson. Okay. Um, Dubois. Um, I mentioned that. I mentioned. Um, I would say Obama. Okay. He's trying to come off the top of the dome. Yeah. The way he was so smooth, the coolest elected official to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know, he 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 really 
really touched the people, the way he handled the hardest job with grace. Mm. Um, I don't say Fidel Castro, as I mentioned before, for his leadership, his his revolutionary ways, um, and the way that he's just not going to take shit from nobody. Mm. It's that attitude, like, just, we're going to take over. Right. Uh, I would say Kobe. Kobe Bryant, yeah. Kobe, man. His, Black Mamba. The, the Black... You know, you already know the Mamba. You know, he's uh, his determination to be the absolute best. You know, there's no days off. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be able to put out. You know, the best work every day, live right. like it's your last. Yeah. Um, I would say Iverson, because he did things his way. He was unapologetic himself. Um, plus, he was a killer in the court. Right. Um, I would say my father, uh, Doctor Remigio Salas. You know, his char- his charisma, his determined to make it from nothing to something. Right. Um, I'll say Nipsey Hussle uh, for his, his love for the community and how he was uniting everyone and enlightening people from all walks of life. Tupac for his vulnerability and his authentic- uh, authenticity. Gregorio Luperon, uh, his leadership and how he, rep- his, how he represented um, the Dominican Republic to move them forward. He took right. a sacrifice of his life to get off the business world, to become president, to set the 20 years of stability in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Just putting putting the people first above his money. Above his own interests, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say my mother, um, you know, her will to always get things done and her spirituality. You know, it's um, her words always really get me there. And as well as my grandmother, Doña Prieta Rojas. Uh, but he, my last one will be Huey Newton. Or um, his fearlessness, his vision, when people didn't have that vision, to feed the kids, educate the community, protect the community and right. by all means. By all means, right. At and, all costs. At all costs. Um, Huey, and, and start a movement. Um that transcends to, to, to this day. So I will say all those folks. Word. Well, thank you for that, brother. That was an extensive <laughs> list, man. I appreciate that. Some some folks barely make it to six, man. So so I appreciate that. Where can we find you, bro? Give us your Instagram, your Twitter. Oh, oh for sure. Uh, my Instagram is Life and Times, okay. which is um, L-I-F-E-A-N-D-T-I-M-E-Z. So, Z, okay. So I put the Z at the bottom. A, just a little like, trickster oh, here. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody <laughs> took the life and time that wasn't available, but okay. <laughs> um, but you can um, find me as Remy Salas, and you can just Google that and you'll find me. Um, as well as in Twitter is Remy Sel Salas, my full name. And if you just Google my name, I have a very unique name. You can find me from my CUNY profile to all my writings in Medium and, Acad- and uh, Academia. Okay. Um, also, I am a co-author of uh, the Afro, Afro-Caribbean and Latino um, dictionary. Mm-hmm. Um, that was um, one of the co-authors there with Henry Louis Gates Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, which big was, dog. Yeah, my man Skip, you know, and he was, um, he, he gave me an opportunity to be part of that. Um, so, and you can find that book right now at um, the Schomburg in Harlem. Okay. 
Thank you, brother. Listen, man, you're doing big things. May you know, may you continue to be blessed to do the things that you do. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming out. Absolutely, man. Making the trip out here from all the way from the Bronx, right? Absolutely. Hopefully we get to see each other and meet and talk and smoke another cigar soon. Very soon. Very soon, my brother. <laughs> Peace. All right, man. All right.